Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle the people that make it and occasionally ourselves i am camille foster i do i do various things that free think when i'm not suffering from illnesses brought home from my daughter's school which is pretty much like the wuhan lab it's very mm. strange she keeps getting sick she brings the thing home everyone gets sick in the house in a cascade which makes the whole thing just take much longer so i'm on i'm on the road to recovery but the childcare situation is a bit untenable at the moment so it's a, it's been hard i'm just saying it's been difficult but i'm still here I'm here, and I'm delighted to be here, joined by Matt Welch, Freeze Magazine, Michael Moynihan, Vice. Gentlemen, how you doing? And I apologize oh, in advance Lord. if I start coughing, okay? That's I'm sorry. I just, I think people really tune in to us to hear us whine about yeah. the, our kids' colds. Well, I mean, Camille just acknowledged that he, I totally can. he believes in the lab leak theory. <laughs> it's messed up. Well, no, yeah. I mean, Wuhan lab does yeah. have some no, viruses it's... in there, at a minimum. You could get them if you're mm. not properly yeah. covered in the, the, the masks and the hazmat suit uh, if this was on youtube you get kicked off for saying that wouldn't you well let's we let's upload it and see that. what happens can you still say can you still Is not it? say that can you still not because remember there's a time when the but... wuhan lab stuff People are getting kicked off of various platforms for saying it. I think the China flu is, is still a little bit difficult. Is that your big ding is saying that you're dying or the big ding? No, it's saying, saying that I'm that right. It just dings <laughs> when I make a good point. I don't know who's operating it, but someone is. They're like, they're like yep, Wuhan lab. Fucking ridiculous. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry you can hear that. Yeah. I get, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd silence it, but then I got to get up, and that seems pretty exhausting. <laughs> um, so wow. that'll, just, that'll just be happening all night. Yeah, just yeah. fine. You're tired from doing all the work. It sounds like yeah, I'm doing all. Well, I drove, I drove out to East Egg today, and it was like literally like a monsoon, and it took forever, and I almost died like 15 times. So I got here, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be to be alive. Um, so just telling you, well, that's good. If Camille's going to talk about like. His kid being sick. I can tell you about my death-defying de drive back home today. I know it's exciting. No one, no one, no one disputes <laughs> that you're allowed to do that. That's fine. That is perfectly fine. This is your podcast. We're yeah, allowed to do whatever we want here. Yeah, I try not to. If we want to chuck the script, we don't want to talk about yeah. Ukraine. We don't want to talk yeah. about Biden on sixty minutes. We don't want to talk about the UN in session for what, minutes? like the first time since the like Dude, a full session, first time to... since the pandemic. I mean, we don't have to talk about any of that. Let's just talk Dude, about crazy. Leah I went... and Cohen's cold. I want. To say that the NYPD, uh -huh. and we always talk about our one listener that we we really like and we communi all communicate with, who's an NYPD uh, honcho. Mm. But I want to tell him uh, something. I went to a, a, a dinner last night that was at an apartment uh, next to the UN, close to the UN. And uh, getting to that apartment was the whole, everything was shut down and it was just total chaos. And I walked up to these cops and I was just like, "I'm going to that apartment building. Uh, how do I get through this like police court?" And he's like. Uh, I, I don't know. What are you like? You going to eat? And I was like, Yeah, that's what I do. I was like, literally, guys, tell literally, are you going to eat? And I was like, Is that relevant? And, and I had to show him an email. And he's like, Go ask the other guys. And the other guys were like, Yeah, I don't know. Just go through. And I was like, This is this, like I could assassinate nine world leaders, and nobody would notice. Yeah. It was just not. But the best thing about about the General Assembly is always the same. Is you walk by any store, there's a bunch of cell phone stores around there on like the east side. And I swear to God, every time it's full of like African dignitaries. 
like all these like average guys in suits, like 50 of them. And they're all like looking at phones. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? They're looting their treasury in buying like the Pixel 6a and putting them in bags. It's like amazing. I was like, I love these guys. They're doing it right. they're, just, been they're just actually African guys. That's all. Just well dressed. No, they were absolutely not. These are literally, this was literally <laughs> not the Zambian delegation of pixel enthusiasts. <laughs> I, I, I promise you. <laughs> I have a good friend who's a listener to this podcast who does a lot of global uh, looking around, helping the kids do the media stuff, hmm. uh, which obviously brings him to Nigeria uh, a lot because Nigeria is yeah. awesome. And um and he, the first time or the second time that he went, he was still operating under the impression that, um, well, you know, obviously Nigeria is going to be uh, like backwards uh, compared to us technologically. They're going to be at least a couple of, they're going to be like uh, work with Matt Welch phones instead of Camille Foster yeah. phones. And uh, and it just <laughs> the opposite was totally true. Like everything was all cloud before we were clouding and and everything was like the the most recent possible. A lot of oil money there. Super impressive. And aren't they, it's, it's, it's true, right? That, that, you know, of the hyphenated Americans, I think Nigerians are the highest earners, aren't they? If not first, yeah. then they're maybe the second. It's like Nigerian Americans, then Indian Americans, and I'm like, man, what a racist country! <laughs> so much money, I can't believe it. Like Norwegian Americans are making like six bucks an hour or something. So, don't yeah, quote me on that. To, I'm not sure yeah. about the Norwegians, but whatever. It's so it's it's on? close. It's close. It's the real real model minority there. Um, Nigerians. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of which, last last ad Nor Norwegian plus cops. Uh, I was at a uh, a cop dinner uh, last weekend with uh, Michael's uh, ex-ish wife uh, Joanna and other people, and um, and she was expressing a lot of uh, sadness about the Queen, as you'd expect yes. uh, from an Irish Irishman. Uh, and uh, Swedish person with an Irish accent, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, Irish people don't like the queen and the Swedish people, but she somehow, yeah. yeah. But uh, she gave me the the rundown of the Scando uh, royalty. Oh yeah, like, and the they Nazis, sound awesome. Like Nazis, I think the, yeah. the there's like yeah, we slot the queen. The queen marriages. is a German who was born in Brazil. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> that's that's in Sweden. That's, that's in Sweden. Yeah. So she's. She's ready to welcome the new government. Yeah, She's yeah. like, finally. Yeah, like, this is great. I've, I've stayed out of politics, and now it's all coming together for me. It is fantastic. But the Nor the Norwegian was, is is uh, some kind of dodgy on like on her second marriage. Yeah, like a drunk. Uh, yeah. As, she looks like Lita Ford. She sounds yeah, awesome. I think it's Metamar. Yeah, or something. I, I'm. Yeah, but she's. I'm like, absolutely yeah. with that. And her dad is also yeah. a complete scumbag too. <laughs> like the the prince, kind of like a Fergie character, but Norwegian. Region, but it's uh who i have I, i've spent some time with fergie by the way and had a uh there's a photograph and i can hmm. maybe i should post it is that a euphemism yeah i don't want to talk about <laughs> this xtc are these, songs are these hunter yeah. biden-esque photos yeah i'm, I'm worried about that because his <laughs> ex-husband is, is friends with jeffrey epstein you know what happened to him? They murdered him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I do have a, no, they didn't. I have a picture of myself, um, Fergie, and uh, Gabby Sibide, whatever, uh, Precious. Yeah, Precious. It's the weirdest picture ever. It's me and Fergie and, and Precious. I yeah. don't know, what the don't fuck? Don't even ask me how it happened, but it's awesome. How have I it's never really, seen this photo? I don't know. I'll send it. I, literally, it's on my laptop. I'll send it to Are you. Are you, is it? 
Is it a manwich situation? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's many jokes there that I'm going to avoid, but yes, yes, there's definitely a manwich going on between. Were you going and... full hunter and yeah. full hunter in the pool? Yeah, I was. I was going Were down you, the uh... slide with my dong out, <laughs> just throttling the chicken. That was on the Daily Mail today. I think I sent it to you guys. It was been yeah. you know going around, and uh, think... as Camille pointed out, when I found the video on YouTube. It had been on YouTube for like six months, this video of him going down a slide naked. And then he's talking to the woman who is, I think, the single dumbest person alive. Prostitute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one of the two prostitutes yeah. that he hired. Here, prostitute, come to the hotel. I well, just smart enough to get the footage. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but she's weaponized. It's been on tape. YouTube for fucking months and no one even <laughs> noticed. But the th- amazing thing about it is in the, f- in the video, he comes down the, the slide naked, right? And then he yeah. get he he walks over to her and then he's like talking to her and and it's you know it's in the pool you can kind of see and he's just pulling on his dong did you notice that it's really like, weird yeah, yeah. It's so like weird you, there's shaft like, there's shaft yeah, in this video there's shaft. I don't know how YouTube's yeah. allowing that I don't know yeah. how many how much pre roll they're running against that they can monetize the shaft but. Good yeah. Lord, Hunter. God. Maybe Russian hackers are preventing them from taking that video down. This how, Am I the this only person who saw gotten. that stuff and was like, I like him more? <laughs> <She's> <laughs> no, like, actually, I, I have, I have like, similar feelings, actually. He's more, yeah. he's more interesting. Yeah. I think he's, yeah. he's more relatable, certainly. Yeah. That's for sure. He's smoking like, crack oh. with two girls in bed. I'm like, okay, so where's the problem here? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like pulling, you know, 10,000 a month from a Ukrainian oil firm. Yes. Probably, yeah, yeah there's that side. too. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Last Multitasking. night, yeah. um, in this uh, dinner, we, I, I was talking to somebody that you guys both know, who's listening to this podcast, um, and we were talking about the um, 60 Minutes interview. Which mm. I only saw bits of, you know, Scott Pelley's slow pitch softball to Joe Biden. But yeah. the the Hunter thing <laughs> that came up and it was just like, and it was like, I can't remember the question, but it was something stupid. It was like, is it hard having Hunter as a son? It's like, well, yeah. He's like, <laughs> um, no, he's a complete fucking scumbag. That's Why the question. is nobody in the media? Like, just fucking say it. Just ask him like, so who's the big guy? You know, like that's, isn't that the phrase they use? Yeah, like the like 50% or this kickback goes to the big guy and everyone's like, oh, that's Joe yeah. Biden. Are you are you the big guy? I, I, just ask him. Uh, like, yeah. why is nobody asking this question? It's like, it's it's relevant. That's the only thing about that shit that seems relevant to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hunter said this thing in a tape that sounds kind of incriminating and people are, are are not feeling confident about parts of your presidency based on that or they're making a ruckus um, and. Um, so what, what is that a reference to as far as you know? Yeah. And, and, and not, I suppose we should say explicitly so for, for someone who's, for someone who listens to the podcast, but perhaps is not, is not up on this in the Hunter Biden laptop. There is a bunch of correspondence amongst that correspondence is some, some, uh, communications with different, uh, companies, firms, yeah. uh, and they're talking about compensation and Hunter is, spelling out who should be compensated and where things need to go. And at one point, um, in a couple of different, um, emails anyways, um, he seems to suggest that something should be set aside for the big guy yeah, and the, big guy. the way that it's presented. It certainly seems as though it's Joe Biden, although 
We don't know. And then cooperated. Yeah. And I don't know what kind of investigation is taking place. I presume that one is, in fact, taking place. I think Letitia James. Isn't it kind of hard? Yeah, Letitia, Letitia James, James is got, looking got it coming. Is this coming? Yeah. Is this coming? <laughs> yeah, well, we should, we should talk about Letitia James and Trump's evolving um, legal situation. Um, but yeah. maybe we start with uh, with Russia and Ukraine, because that seems to be yeah. the most like urgent yes. thing. I mean, it's not it even clear that we'll be able to, to launch war, this podcast. So, so it, was, yeah. it was Monday of this week when Vladimir Putin um, sat down at a receptionist's desk somewhere in the Kremlin <laughs> um, and had a massive <laughs> phone bank phones. next to him. Yeah. <laughs> like, These are phones. This that is Vlad. I connect your call. <laughs> yes, I connect your call now. Yeah. Um, and um, he, he, gave, he gave a speech which... Um, during which he suggested that someone at NATO had said that they were prepared to use nuclear weapons against Russia. And as a result, the Russians were definitely, they wanted to, he wanted to remind us that they have nuclear weapons, that their nuclear weapons are more advanced than NATO nuclear weapons. And um, they are not afraid to use them if the, the integrity and sovereignty of the, the Russian people is um, threatened or imposed upon. Um, and he also said that he's going to be calling up uh, additional troops, um, and it's not clear what those numbers are. I think, uh, but a lot of they people said three hundred thousand. But well, th- yeah. yeah, they said partial. It's a partial mobilization of three hundred thousand. But these things in Russia have a tendency to be a slow moving three hundred thousand to become a million. You know, I mean, that's yeah. It's it's also you know people with military uh, training, combat experience, et cetera. It's all nonsense. And, you know, we're right around the time, by the way, which is like the the thing every year. I think it happens twice a year, actually, in which people are conscripted because, you know, 18 year old it used to be two years. And I think in 2007 or eight, they changed it to one year. Uh, but everyone has to do their service. And prior yeah. to, to Putin, like in the early years of Putin's regime and like 2002 and stuff, basically nobody did it. They would get out of it in various ways. You could have, you know, injuries. You could be going to college. All this stuff would would get you out of military service. That doesn't exist anymore. And the most amazing thing that we're seeing, um, which is totally catastrophic for the Russians, is that there are now street protests, uh, quite a few of them across the country. A couple of groups said they arrested over 1,000 people, 1,300 people just in the protests in one day. And that they were giving the people who were arrested papers and saying, you have to report to, uh, to duty tomorrow to go to Ukraine. People were, seems like I a, mean, seems like a really bad idea. Seems like a really bad idea. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, as, I know, imagine these folks be, won't fight and they might stir yeah. up more people to also they might not, be fight, which is kind of their, already an issue. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's but it says, it says, uh, uh, instable, unstable, um, as it's been since, 19 i don't know maybe even 1991 on some level mm. but uh, certainly since the uh the the mid 90s um it's uh a crazy dangerous and fraught situation and that said um like i was watching some of the putin speeches and then also you know his terrible what's the show 60 Monan, uh, that they always have these like fake russian uh, uh intellectuals on yeah. or whatever toadies yeah. from the propaganda um who were trying to um, you know, uh, they felt like Putin's message about nuclear weapons was being misconstrued, that it was he meant it about Ukraine. It's like, no, no, we, we really mean it. We're going to do it on the West. And so they uh, were like, you know, they they're they want to come here and take our country and and and, and kill Russia. And we're just not going to do that without a nuclear fight. Like the whole thing mm. uh, seemed insincere in a way that, um, yeah. uh, you know, I'm 
I'm nervous about it, less nervous than Camille because I lived through a Cold War and and like we just sort of this was a a, a backdrop of, of living, which sucks. It's a terrible way to live to live. Um, without, there's people with nuclear weapons who don't like each other, and one of them feels cornered. It's a bad and fraught way to live, but also like it seemed uh, less realistic somehow than ever. Well, it was. The, I mean, it was the way in the that sense they put that it. If yeah. you can imagine, any times, I mean, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is as close as you get. And, you know, American missiles in Turkey and, you know, this kind of negotiation that happens, right? We're up at the brink. The thing about that is, is that when you look at any other time during the Cold War, there's very, very few times in which the Soviet leadership or particularly the Soviet premier is saying we're going to use nuclear weapons, like, like just saying flat out. And what they're doing here, too, is the scary part is the territorial integrity thing is kind of an interesting thing, right? No one's invading Russia. Well, mm -hmm. when you have the territorial integrity thing is said within the same 24 hours when they're going to have a bunch of fake referenda in Donetsk, Luhansk, other places, like eight, I think they're going to have like eight of them, which are all, you know, they're worthless. They're complete bullshit. But what you do then is you incorporate them into Russia. And then if at that point when you start attacking because you know look the, the the ukrainians i mean they understand they're losing right i mean putin basically acknowledges that they're losing during that speech um television's acknowledging that they're losing or they're not doing well just put it that way they're not saying they're losing i mean yeah. no one's saying that but it's just it's pretty clear that everything is going really poorly it's not ukrainian propaganda so what you do then is you you change this to say okay now we're going to have this referendum say it's in Donetsk, right? And then the vote is 98% to 0.1%. Uh, and, you know, it's like people voting for the Libertarian Party candidate or something is the other 1%. And then, you know, all of a sudden that that's Russian territory. And the Ukrainians, of course, not only are saying we're taking the territory back that you guys invaded and occupied, we're now going to try to take back the stuff that you took in 2014, which is those, quote unquote, people's republics and Crimea. And so when you do that, then all of a sudden you say, oh, well, if you if you, you know, touch Russian territory, here come the nukes. The problem with this is, is I don't think that they actually believe this. I don't think that they would actually do it. And the reason I don't think that, you know, you don't want to test people in this, but just, you know, going through Putin's actions in the past, I can't imagine that somebody would not understand the consequences of something like this. Because the consequences of invading Ukraine, they didn't realize, or they didn't actually bank on the entire West giving Ukraine the weapons to fight this war. If they didn't have these weapons, Ukraine wouldn't be winning. The West is winning this war. That's the way That's they see right. it, and they're correct. And if they were to do that, I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms, this is not, I don't think that this is even a, a questionable assertion, something that people could even doubt, is that Russia would be, would be invaded very quickly. The consequences of using a nuclear weapon is that, you know, I think they're rational enough to realize that the war would come to Russia. There's the international community is not going to allow a tactical or otherwise there's no such thing as a tactical nuclear weapon because there's no, there's no, you know, tactical use for it. The use is terror. The use is to actually drop a bomb, right? And a tactical weapon is, you know, 20 times the strength of, you know, the bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. If that happens, goodbye Putin regime because you can't beat the Ukrainians. And what do you think that that tells the West? When you, if you use a nuclear weapon, it means that we're going to get rid of you.
and going to do it fast. Um, and it might be not, not nice and might be bloody and might be something that, you know, we can agree or disagree. I'm just telling you what I think would happen. And using a nuclear weapon is a, is a, is a red line and a huge red line. And I don't think they do it. And it's, it's amazing to me that of all the weird um, zigs and zags of the last six, seven months, um, which have been been harrowing, not least uh, which for the Ukrainians who've been murdered for no fucking good reason at yes. all, um, that uh, sometimes uh, gets lost, not usually, but sometimes. Um, but like, there hasn't been a, we really need to go all the way to Moscow no, no, type of no, feeling that you had um, in 1991. You didn't actually have that in 1990 or even during the war in 1991, the Gulf War. The, the go, all, go all the way to Baghdad was something that happened post facto, mm. that people felt a sense of regret. In fact, um, the Iraq war, the whole point of it was to expel uh, the invading country from the sovereign next door neighbor that it had um, bullied and, and occupied. And America and the whatever number of allies drove them out. Um, and the regret there was um, immediate uh, because when the Iraqis asked if well, they could yes. use helicopters, <laughs> and Norman Schwarzkopf and Co. were like, yeah, it's fine. And then they started killing people from the helicopters. Um, yes. Yeah, that was not good because there was an uprising. Right. I mean, it, so yeah. There was an uprising and there was encouragement from the uprising. There's a whole bunch of, of uh, history that's associated with that. Um, and uh, and that led to, in many ways, a lot of disastrous decision making afterwards. Um, and that's always worth thinking about in every context, including the one that we're in. Um, but uh, I credit uh, the Biden administration, especially, um, which has been the, you know, America has been the financier of this war without uh, question. Um, uh, and without a lot of debate, honestly, in America about it. And I think there's reasons to debate it. And I, I don't have any problems with the Rand Pauls of the world saying, hey, we should actually debate it, which there hasn't been much of, even though I tend to be more in favor of that stuff than he does. Um, but they've been good about saying, no, we don't have a quarrel with Russia. The idea is to push you out of this sovereign country that you invaded. That's 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 what this is all about. Which is a quarrel and with Russia, yeah. But I, I know I, 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 I understand a, the point you're making. It yeah, is yeah. a but it's like but it's it. This is never going to go to your territory. Yes. Was was right? there not that's, was there not is, some sort of weird Bidenism at some point where he like kind of at, set, the, at the end of the State of the Union address he said go get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he said like a couple. Of, there've been a couple of. At one point he said like Putin can't stay in power. Yes. Didn't, yeah. That happened. Yeah. 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 That happened. It was just this past week on 60 Minutes when he said, well, yeah, I mean, if China fucks with Taiwan, we're going to fucking kill him. Oh, and by the way, the pandemic's over. Right then. Pandemic's over. We still have a problem with COVID, I think that, but the pandemic, over. over. Everyone's fine. just like, I think that, I think, <laughs> and, and Moynihan and Camille, quickly you says, more yeah, 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 no, 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 don't listen yeah. to him. He's not in charge. You're more versed. Don't listen to that. He's that old guy. I think the Taiwan stuff is more deliberate. I think it's more like uh, oh, you think the so? gay marriage trial balloon. Well, because how many times has he done this now? Three? Yeah. But that's two, because he's two. old, Matt. Maybe three. Yeah. yeah, he's old and he doesn't remember anything. And yeah. He's my dad. That's the um, actual issue. There's, there's yeah. no like, way this is fine, dude. It looks crazy. Uh, it, yeah. would look, it looks well, genuinely but crazy. Also, but also you could see, you could see the idea of, um, of, especially in this moment when there is uncertainty regarding a large nuclear armed power um, trying to uh, get in the business of an immediate neighbor mm -hmm. of broadcasting that this kind of unspoken thing is more spoken than you realize. 
and like also creating a little bit of like ambiguity so you're constantly walking it back but like it's an enhanced version of the existing policy but maybe more than you have a different no, idea on the, about that uh, the taiwan thing is is one thing on, just back to russia quickly is that th- yeah, yeah. you know to, to your point i mean they're not really <clears throat> as far as i can tell and i pay pretty close attention to this stuff they're not kind of enumerating any real policy with regards to russia. i mean they're giving well that's the thing right we're going to spend you know x number of billion of dollars but it's not spoken about publicly in any real way that, you know, the Biden gaffes, and they are gaffes, it's not a Kinsley gaffe, you know, mistakenly saying what you believe. They're just gaffes. I mean, he's just, you know, really bad on his feet. And extemporaneously, he says things that his entire administration disagrees with. And mm-hmm. he just thinks that's the thing to say. Like, yeah, no, we should get rid of Putin. He's a bad guy. Yeah, well, there are policy implications to that. So maybe you shouldn't say that publicly. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would I would be overjoyed. This is why if, you should ask him about the big guy. Like, are you yeah, the big guy? Like, would probably tell, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> probably tell this, is what, this is what my family calls Come me. Over that's, that's what <laughs> get over here. Get over here. Yeah, Hunter, he's on the slide. He's on the slide. He's got his dick out. So, come, on, come on, man. He's dick out. I mean, he's well uh, hung. He's well hung. He's hung. He's hung. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Um, but, that, but the thing about it is, is that, you know, the survival of the Putin regime is the thing that interests me because if you look at the survival of the Soviet regime, 1917 to essentially 1991, right? 89, 1991. That took a very long time because it was very easy to control a population when technology was as it was. And, Mm. you know, you could literally just build a wall around uh, West Berlin, literally around West Berlin, because it was a little speck of freedom. And I mean, it was in the middle of East Germany. And that was effective, right? It was it was very effective. People got out, of course, but it was effective. What do you do now? I mean, you look at examples like Venezuela, which is a is an authoritarian country. It's not a totalitarian country as such, but it's an authoritarian country. And, you know, the people going to Martha's Vineyard uh, sent by DeSantis were Venezuelans, right? I mean, a lot of these people are Venezuelans. They're getting out um, because they've given up and they've given up on, on trying to change the government through opposition, through street protests and everything. So you would think in a modern context, it would be much harder to keep your grip on power. And, you know, different countries like Iran, where there's protests now, people being shot in the street. Also, by the way, very effective. Shooting people in the street is immoral, crazy, wrong, disgusting, but it is actually effective, and they know that, right? Uh, until the moment that it's and, not. Until yeah, the moment right. it's not, yes. That's right. But they've yeah. done it before. You, mean, you remember the Neda Sultan uh, image and those protests. It's exactly similar to the woman mm-hmm. who was uh, killed uh, recently. Um, but that kind of thing is like, can it survive? Um I don't know. I mean, you have um, it's pe- people that nobody pays attention to. There was a, a kind of city councilor in Moscow who called the special military operation a war, which was made illegal. And he was he was sentenced to seven years in prison. Um, and by the way, gave a credible, incredible speech after he was convicted. And you can find it online. I think it's Medusa, the opposition Russian website, which is both in Russian and in English, the English website's very good, and I think it's based out of Latvia, but they are all, have all left the country. His speech after being convicted is amazing. It's, a, it's a, a tremendous kind of like Sakharov kind of speech. And, you know, there are people that make these pushes, and I think that, like, if, if he can survive this, which everybody in Russia said has been saying the same thing, it's not really affecting them. You know, there's families whose kids are dying, right? 
But for the most part, people in Moscow don't really feel it. Despite the sanctions, it's every, they're not biting in the way that people thought they were going to. But this is different, right? Now it's the war is coming home. We're losing. The West is, I mean, we're talking about nuclear weapons. People are like going on the street saying, this is fucking insane. This is actually a bridge too far. And I don't think that in the short term there's going to be any, any effect on the, the, the Putin government. But I don't think if um, they ramp this up in they, the way they want to, um, I still think they're going to lose. And I don't think he can survive. So I think this is the all or nothing gamble has started right now. He started right now. They went on television, said, essentially said, we're losing this war. We need more people because, you know, the hungry maw of the Ukrainian military is eating up our young. We need more of you. For what? Well, you know, we'll talk about that later. But just go. We're going we're gonna to wake you up in the middle of the night. That's not a recipe for a happy country. That's a recipe for a restive country, even, even Russia. So, I, I, so wait, how, ter how terrified are you, Camille? Well, no, no. Well, this is going to be my next question. I mean, does the fact that you believe, Moynihan, that this is Putin on his last legs, he's definitely yeah. going to lose, does that make you more or less concerned when you hear this kind of rhetoric from him? Um, and is it and is it and the follow up question related, I suppose, is is it heartening that a number of people who are seen to be Putin allies yeah. this week seem to be saying things publicly, <clears throat> making it very clear that that they believe that Putin needs to wind this whole thing down, like cut this I out. I don't think the internal opposition from people who who are liberals uh, in the you know, there was a brief period of liberalism in, in Russia in the, the 90s, some of whom actually went on to, to work for Putin and some of whom have, have denounced Putin. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think that's who he's afraid of at all. I don't think that's the, the internal opposition that he's worried about. It's actually the ultra-nationalist types who have been openly criticizing him. And they're openly criticizing him and they cannot be accused of being traitors to Mother Russia. They're further to the right on these issues. They're, they're people who have publicly said, military people who have publicly said, or people affiliated with the military, ex-military people, you know, the Dugan, the Alexander Dugan types. I mean, these guys are saying things very loud and on telegram channels, they don't get on, there's a few people have actually got on TV and saying it too. You've seen clips of that too. I think that's mm -hmm. the kind of, worry internally and hey, look you'd be but I was, crazy I'm, i was specifically asking though about like allies uh ann applebaum in her piece for the atlantic um talks about this summit in uzbekistan last week and indicates mm -hmm. that there are a bunch of leaders who were saying yes. things um to him uh today's today's era is not an era of war this is um uh, prime minister modi uh, Chi talked about his concerns. Yeah, the Chinese. Uh, thing, yeah. Erdogan yeah. also had some some sharp things to say. The lands which were invaded will be returned to Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're they're Erdogan's there. drones that are doing a very good job of killing yeah. Russians because they're so cheap and and they've been buying them by you know off the shelf by the pallet. Um, no, I mean it's it, look, all of these people would be saying a very singing a very different tune if. Putin had done a good job if the Russian military had done a good mm -hmm. job. I mean, the Ukrainian military is, what, 700,000, a million people at this point? I mean, the people that have, have joined, the people that are available. It's quite big. I mean, and they're doing, and they have the weapons, right? So this all changes, and this is Putin's response is all of this stuff together. It's, you know, people that would seem to be allies that are generally on, on the Russian side of things, you know, it used to be called the non-aligned movement, which is, was aligned with Moscow. Love those guys. <laughs> those are my favorites. Yeah. There's like the non-aligned movement of today is 
going to Putin and saying, this is not really working out. All of these things together. And of course, I do worry about, you know, the, the talk about nuclear weapons. But this is exactly what you do when you're backed into a corner. So when you have people on Twitter, you know, the sycophants who, you know, either blame the U.S. for everything or actually, you know, are appreciative of Putin saying things like, well, you know, uh, you, you gave weapons and you pushed him in this corner. So it's kind of your fault that he's threatening nuclear weapons, which is so demented and, you know, defies all logic and reason that it's like, you know, it's the invasion and they're fighting back and defending their territory and they're guilty because they're defending their territory and they're doing it well. And you're going to get into a situation now where the Kremlin is going when their back is against the wall. You know, people say we need to make off ramps for them. Right. Sevastopol, you know, like give them, allow Crimea, but not dumb. All sorts of things. You need an off ramp. I don't think there's any off ramps that he's willing to take because this is existential for both, uh, you know, the, the Putin regime and what he thinks of as modern Russia. He spent from 2000 today of taking the Russia that Yeltsin was kind of ham-handedly building, which was kind of liberal, kind of, you know, you know, the first Chechen war was a Yeltsin war. I mean, it was not a, a great place, but it did have a free and, and vibrant press for a bit. And that all changed. And, you know, the Soviet Union started being valorized in textbooks. The statue of Felix Zerzhinsky was put up again in Lubyanka. You know, I mean, all this stuff was happening, like glorifying the past, not the ideology of the past, but Russia. And that to make a gamble on what you think is a Russian territory that was gambled away stupidly by Khrushchev and you want that back and you can't do that. You can't take that. I mean, this is when you start, you know, using the most extreme rhetoric you can. And I don't see any off ramp here, but, but Putin losing. I mean, he's going to lose. I mean, he's already lost. There's a... Uh, it, it sounds uh, tautologically almost kind of stupid or aggressive in some way, but like there's this great off ramp uh, called um, a retreat from the country that you, yes. the sovereign country that you invaded. Yeah, um, that was the Iraq off ramp like, for America. Yeah, and and it's and much more now than than then. Um, as I was sort of referencing before, um, that's it. There isn't a plan. There isn't like a regime change plan. And God knows, I hope there is not, actually. I know Moynihan probably wants a regime change. No, I, I, I do, but it. I want it internally. I don't want it external in any sense. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Like, the, the, this this is the point. Um, it's a weird thing, and I've mentioned it before, but uh, in, uh, I think it was October, basically 1990, 32 years ago, there was a joint press conference between Mikhail Gorbachev, God rest his soul. Oh, yeah, we never uh, thought There is no yeah. God. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, George, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev's George H.W. Bush um, went out and said, made a joint statement together um, after the uh, invasion. I guess it wouldn't be at October 1990. I forget. When was the invasion again? No, it was. It was in August of uh, 1990, right? Um, so uh, they, they gave a joint statement in saying the principle of sovereignty um, is basically the most important one in international relations. And the world cannot stand idly by while a large armed neighbor just swallows another one. Mm -hmm. We have to come together and find a way to defend the principle of sovereignty. And if you remember from the post Gulf War wars that America was involved with, including Yugoslavia and elsewhere, 
like the notion of sovereignty was then flipped. Like Russia used the word sovereignty to oppose America's involvement in Bosnia and Yugoslavia. Uh, so did China, and so did a lot of the non-aligned movement, um, or whatever the the dregs of it uh, are are now called. Um, and uh, I wrote a piece probably four or five years ago. Uh, uh, actually, maybe right after the aftermath of Georgia um, uh, in twenty fourteen where like sovereignty has become such a lonely word, right? Like that principle, regardless of what one thinks about the Gulf War, and there are many ways to think about the Gulf War in every direction, but like that principle is a good principle. It should be an international taboo to just go ahead and swallow up another country. Mm. It should also be an international taboo, I would add hastily, um, to preemptively go to war against a country, a much smaller, poorer country who you've kind of uh, have decided is a threat in a way that it doesn't make a lot of sense, which I think America did with in Iraq. Um, and so uh, uh, America almost immediately after the end of the Gulf War, which was fought in the name of sovereignty, rightly um, in that name, regardless of what they thought about the war, then set about to degrade the issue of sovereignty by uh, policing no-fly zones. That was, what is what is a no-fly zone? It is saying that we are asserting, the outsiders are asserting sovereignty over these areas because we have very understandable um, sympathy with the Marsh Arabs and the Kurds and other, and other uh, regions. Um, so then becomes all tricky and messy. However, that bedrock idea of sovereignty is inherently, um, I think, like righteous, popular, and kind of sexy, um, and also speaks to strength of people who are, are being fought against. I just had uh, and hung out with um, uh, the Ukrainians that Nancy Rommelman was hanging out with uh, when she was in Ukraine. They were able to come out here and visit uh, a woman and her uh, Oksana and her uh, two girls. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's an anecdote, but uh, like, a country that gets and this happened a lot during in Vietnam when people like think about what were the errors of Vietnam, a country that gets invaded, is just going to act a lot different towards the superpower that is doing the invaded invading or like thinks that it's going to impose its will. It's your country, dude. Um, it would be it would look a lot different, a hell of a lot different. And they'd be on their heels if if the West and especially the United States hadn't given them all the weapons and all the money. Um, they definitely have. And it definitely turned the tide of the war. Um, however, I don't know if they would have ever truly lost i think it could have been a guerrilla war for a really long time because it's their country it's well, the difference, sovereignty. But the difference is i mean remember in vietnam is that you actually had a sovereign state of south vietnam right the south vietnamese had i mean you can talk about how corrupt they were but they had a, they had a military they i mean if go to any vietnamese community in california in various parts in in, in virginia washington dc they all fly the south vietnamese flag there's no equivalent of that in, in Ukraine, with the exception of some, you know, pockets of people that have been either bust in or are Russian friendly in the so-called People's Republics. I mean, it's, an, it's a harder slog in the sense that the, the United States actually had, um, you know, a, a state. And again, this is not to say that this is a legitimate state or one that, that should have won the day or whatever, but they had a state right. and an army yeah. that they fought alongside of. And that was the whole thing was that, you know, the, the change in the war was Vietnamization, was making, was having the Vietnamese actually do all this stuff rather than the Americans. There's no equivalent of that in, in Ukraine. And you're, you're up against, it's, it is a losing battle 
in a state that is fragile. People have talked for so long about how fragile the Russian economy is. It's a sclerotic economy. It doesn't produce much. It's a, it's who, what, what was it? Upper Volga with nukes was what, who called it that? Like George Schultz or something. Yeah. But you know, yeah. is, you know, a gas station with nukes. And, you know, remember that 1993, the Yeltsin sent the army, which equivocated and finally, you know, joined Yeltsin to fire on the White House, fire on the parliament building on the upper floors, which they, you know, I've been to that parliament building standing in front of it going, wow, in 93, they attacked us. And, and, you know, Yeltsin's speech, very much redolent of what, or Putin's very redolent of what uh, Yeltsin said at the time, referred to the people that he was fighting against um, you know, people in the, in the, which was still the Supreme Soviet, I think, um, as fascists and communists, used as fascists, as they always say. But, you know, this is not a country that has a, you know, when we talk about here, democracy in America and, you know, Democrats and people warning about, oh, it's the end of democracy. And, you know, I always make the argument that it's withstood a lot. And there's so many points in history that ha has shown that it can withstand uh, the the you know wild ideas of some crazy uh, wannabe revolutionaries. You know Russia was literally fighting a civil war and bombing its own parliament in 1993, right? Yeah. You know, and then when Putin takes over in 2000, that's a total flip. It's a flip of what the 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 institutions of Russia were, and then the slow erosion of freedoms uh, with the government, you know, banning and taking over newspapers and, and television stations. It's not a very robust country. Forget the economy, but in the, the, the sort of political infrastructure of Russia is strong enough to keep Putin in power. He's done a very good job of that. But is it strong enough? I don't know the answer to this. I'm not saying that, that I, I do. But is it strong enough to sustain a country that is now conscripting people you know, in saying it's 300,000, it's going to be more, throwing people in jail who, who say, you know, saying that there's a, what, a 17-year penalty or something for desertion, uh, you know, probably the death penalty. But it is, like, everything has changed pretty, pretty drastically, and people are incredibly brave. And that's the thing. Iran is the same way. You see a woman, like, standing in the middle of traffic with her two kids and her headscarf, you know, around her head, above her head, like, swinging it, swinging it. Swinging yeah. It. And it's like, it's these awesome. people are amazing. And then we have like, you know, the resistance that go on MSNBC and talk about the end of democracy. It's like, there. it's a great thing that these people get to look around the world and see what that actually looks like. See what a lack of democracy or the end of democracy. Well, these are two countries that haven't had democracy in a very long time. And that's in Iran and, and, and Russia. But th these are countries where people actually, there's some consequences to fighting for, for real democracy and people going to jail. And I think that there's only so much that, that the Russian people can take when they are, it's not the Wagner group anymore. It's, it's, it's you and your kids, not people just in the military. And as much as there are concerns about, uh, about Ukraine's integrity and the importance of uh, sovereign nations being able to defend their territorial integrity and not uh, having, especially large, well-moneyed countries trying to knock over small ones and kind of beat bite pieces on them off or take them over wholesale. At a moment when there's so much global instability, the, the various um, governments in places like Sri Lanka and Haiti that are pretty much collapsing or have completely collapsed, 
Mm -hmm. um, the various places in Europe where you're seeing kind of far right groups that are beginning yeah. to gain power in the United States. We Sweden, have Italy, some political yeah. instability of our own yeah. um, and very severe questions about the future of democracy, as I'm told. Um, it's interesting that at that moment, when the Ukraine situation is unfolding, the United States takes you know a particular position that they want to fund aspects of this conflict and provide material aid to the Ukrainians. Um, you even had Zelensky show up in the United States and insist that you ought to do more, um, which, I mean, we gave them more money, uh, but we haven't done much more beyond that, at least officially. Um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, the, yeah. Especially after this That's week, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. especially after this week with with Putin saying explicitly and openly both this assertion that NATO has suggested that they would use nuclear weapons against yeah, Russia, which I'm pretty sure that it's, hasn't it's, happened. It's, it's, it's um, but then doubling down and saying that I would do it and I'm not playing with y'all. Like at what point? <laughs> at what point are you taking too many risks? At what point is it enough to say, okay, well, the United States doesn't like this. NATO doesn't like this, but these people aren't a NATO member. We can't risk a nuclear war with these unstable people. And it certainly seems like we're kind of getting towards the end of something. But Putin isn't signaling that he's leaving. He's signaling that there could be an escalation here. And... No, that they're and annexing the response, territory. Yes, right. And, and the response, part of our, yes. and the response from more, the from yeah. the United States is, well, we're going to give more money. Biden wants to give more money. Like, is that is that? I mean, Matt, you're someone who is traditionally skeptical of sanctions and such. Is generally not mm -hmm. inclined to see us get into a deeper and deeper conflict. Like, at what point do you say, okay, look, we've done what we need to do here? But we have to have conversations. We need to be actively talking about how to bring this to a peaceful resolution, even if that means that they chew off some piece of Ukraine. Here's my my uh, uh, problem with that as a kind of governing uh, motivational structure. Uh, and this speaks to my bias more than it speaks to like some kernel of beauty, high logic or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, um, I'm overly influenced by uh, living in Central Europe for eight years, which everyone's bored about hearing about. But what is the experience of those people is that their fates were determined by meetings between powers that they were not invited to. Um, the whole concept of NATO expansion, NATO even existing, as we've talked about and argued about with Thad Russell, um, but I think to a productive degree, um, uh, in many ways, mutually, um, is that people tend to, especially and not only uh, kind of self-styled anti-imperialists or people who are worried about entangling alliances, they tend to think about it in terms of the largest members of, of various poles that are a part of this. But they don't think about it fundamentally in terms of the weaker sovereign states that are looking for a security guarantee. So my starting point in any of these discussions is not what should America, even though I'm an American and I'm thinking about our policy, like in, in the global sense of what should happen. Um, I'm thinking about the independent fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
godforsaken. You happen to be like a, a small, poor country in between Russia and Germany. It's a really bad category. Like some of the best people in the world, I love them. I really, really do. Um, and they fought like absolute bastards in every direction during World War II, the Poles and the Ukrainians the most, but some of the Yugoslavs as well, um, uh, even the Greeks who are otherwise, you know, uh, disreputable. But um, uh, <laughs> if you happen to be caught between these poles, you've, you've been screwed so much for so long and you're seeking a security guarantee and any discussion about your status, your territory and how it is defended going out. It is not fundamentally a question about the United States. That is my belief. And I realize that that is quite probably not even possibly naive or, or like irresponsible on some level. And on another level, um, I have a natural sympathy for people who are trying to defend their territory against a, a, a an intervening tyrant next door, and I want to help them. Um, uh, I might have personal, uh, deep, negative feelings about said tyrant and the people that made that tyrant possible, and I do, um, like deeper and, and darker than you can imagine. I really, really do. Um, uh, Russia is a wicked nation. It's a fucking wicked nation. Um, it's not useful to say that in a political context for a thousand reasons. Thank God I'll never be in politics. But Russia produced this. It's not like an artifact of Vladimir Putin. Would have happened, mm. probably, right? It was already happening before Vladimir Putin. Uh, there, <laughs> Abkhazia happened twice before Vladimir Putin was a gleam in anybody's eye, right? Georgia happened before Vladimir Putin, right? Like this thing's happened. Moldova uh, Transnistria that happened before Vladimir Putin. So this has been curdling for a while, bubbling for a while. But set that aside, any discussion about this, um, I believe, um, and a lot of people who are uh, anti-interventionists or self-styled um, uh, disagree with me very violently. Like they say that this in Hungary, right? Like there's an interview uh, with Sorab uh, Amari uh, with the uh, Hungarian foreign minister. He's a piece of shit, but he's articulate named Peter Siharto or something. Um, it's worth reading. I know he's a, he's that's a, a, that's he's a, a nice amoral twist on clean and articulate. He's a, he's a piece of shit, but he's a moral <laughs> fucking <laughs> Magyar piece of garbage. Uh, but it's an interesting and and and, and actually uh, Sorab uh, quitted himself very well. I think in the interview, just sort of teasing out his ideas and. Um, I, uh, a nod to the non-aligned. He's like, you know, I hear all these, uh, you know, the other foreign ministers come to me and say, you know, in, in quiet, like, we really sympathize with you Hungarians. And uh, we just wish that, uh, you know, more Europeans and more uh, NATO uh, uh, members would say, OK, like, what, what other countries? Like Eritrea? like giving you a high five there, bro. Um, anyways, uh, but but uh, in this, he said, and this is what you hear from these people. And you hear from people who I agree with more about a, a lot of uh, various things, a lot of like a libertarian um, anti-interventionist that this uh, the, the solution to this crisis can only happen when America and Russia sit down to talk. And I say no. Yeah. And I say no um, because of precisely the history of Munich and the history of Yalta, the history of great powers sitting down, talking about what should be the territories, the populations and the security guarantees and the population transfers of small independent countries. I say, fuck no. I say, give them weapons to help them defend themselves um, in the meantime. And, and, uh, and we can't determine the out 
outcome of that war. Um, and it should be more democratically debated, uh, as I mentioned before. Um, and I will freely acknowledge that I'm wrong uh, often. And I, and I worry about the context now. And Camille, you're nodding towards uh, like political and economic effects in Western Europe. I think there's an instability factor right now that's a bit larger than people can wrap their heads around. Um, I like if if there isn't a quick resolution to this, and there's no reason to think that there is, um, uh, the politics in Western Europe and the geopolitical realities of energy production, and everything else is fucked up. It's mm -hmm. weird. It's bad. Mm -hmm. Like it could get it can get bad in weird ways that we can't contemplate. I acknowledge all of that kind of stuff, but I don't want America to dictate Ukrainians' borders. Fine, I, I, my it. final thought on this is that mm. you know you see a lot of these people that you know are, get very very exercised about the border crisis in in the United States, and you know talk about the territorial integrity of the United States of people just you know breaking laws and walking across the border, et cetera. And then in the same breath, say, you know, I mean, Ukraine kind of provoked this, didn't they? I mean, it's an amazing thing to see is that they were literally invaded by, by the Russian army. And what everybody has to remember is that there was a war that has been, was being fought from 2014 to 2022 in Donbass. 16,000 people died. 16,000 people died it's in not, that war. It's not a small not war. Not a small war. And the Ukrainians were fighting that and fighting that tooth and nail. And by the way, the guy that was running the separatist forces, Igor Gurk, I think, Igor Gurkin, I think his name is, uh, he, the FSB officer, um, has criticized Putin. And, you know, he is about as as nationalistic as you can get. And he's been, been, been running the show down there. And he said that uh, Putin's been, been screwing this whole thing up. And he's not wrong about that. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, look, the only way that this can be resolved is with Russia leaving Ukraine. If they want Crimea back, if they want these little pockets, those things have to be negotiated. You can't take them by force, period. End of story. There's, there's no question about it. If, if Mexico decided that, you know, let's go back to the history of X, Y, and Z, and we're going to take Texas, I don't think anyone would be okay with that. They would say, you know, militarily, just don't walk over and start killing civilians and say, I get it. And then, you know, this is mine now, because if you look at the history books, this was at one point ours. It's like, well, that's not how, I mean, you, the Soviet Union lost, it, it, it crumbled because it was a corrupt, fetid, nasty system. And everything that collapsed with it is you know what should have happened because communism from its inception in, in 1917 in Russia was something that was destined to fail and everything that it grabbed in its wake should have been given back to where it was in you know 2000 or 1917. I mean, obviously the Ukrainians were fighting a war in 1920 too. I mean, this is an old conflict, right? You invade a country, expect to fight a war, and if you cannot, and also in a situation like this, a simple thing to say, very, very simple thing to say. Matt kind of alluded to it with the Vietnam analogy. When you, when you invade a country with a bunch of people who give a fuck about that country, 19-year-old yeah. kids with Kalashnikovs, and a bunch of people who all of a sudden are motivated to sing Ukrainian songs every waking moment, you know, put on uh, a military uniform when they'd never even thought of it before, and fight to the death. And if you look at opinion polls in Ukraine, do you want a negotiated settlement? It's what ninety some odd percent that say no fucking way. Mm. No, we want it's go to fuck win. yourself. And in in a country that wants to win and is winning, shall win. 
And no matter what Vladimir Putin does, he's, he's back is against the wall and he's going to lose. It's just a matter of what type of loss it's going to be. You can't occupy that country. I mean, you, I mean, you can't. I mean, if they had won in Kiev, what would be happening? I mean, they'd be just being assassinated every day. There'd be bombs going off every day. There'd be a guerrilla campaign on the streets of an enormous European city. And that's not happening because they won that battle. So anyway, you yeah. can move on from that. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about some other stuff. I, I suppose I wish I heard more like rhetorical off ramps and more appeals to that. And I, maybe it's happening behind the scenes and the kind of bellicose rhetoric like is, it's not, is happening in front. It's not happening off but, behind the scenes because because that's you, the but I don't I don't think that the, I don't think that the rhetoric is bellicose, Camille. I uh, think that, it's an important distinction okay, to make. It's it's sure. it's not it is certainly not like conciliatory at all. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But the bellicose rhetoric would be like, how about we recreate, I don't know, a hundred mile buffer zone um yeah. on the other side of your border, motherfuckers. Yeah. So no, that that's you true. can't send that's true. That would be that would right? be an escalation. That's bellicose. I suppose I suppose what I mean is I I wish there were more like we could end this tomorrow. Let's stop this now. Stop the carnage. Right. Let's have a conversation. Let's sit down at the table, figure this out. Because this is preposterous. And I, I just don't see that yeah. sort of demand. Well, when you don't care about the casualty figures, it's the General Ziap thing in, in Vietnam. The yeah. Vietnamese won, you know, won, and America lost 56,000 people. The Vietnamese, I think, lost 2 million. And they didn't care. They would just wave after wave after wave. And it's like they don't give a shit about, about the people that are, <coughs> that are fighting and dying. They care about the result. And, you know, the casualty figures have a huge effect you can say whatever you want about him and there's a lot of things that I could agree with but they have an effect on George W. Bush you know if those 3,500 people in Iraq became 10,000 I mean that, that's you know to democratic country you're going to lose an election you know even if you don't care about those people um, for political purposes you're not going to do it there's no election in Russia there's no consequences you have an iron grip on power you don't care about who dies you just keep going yeah so. Yeah, I said it before. I'll wrap it with this. The, uh, 1968, there were 10,000 Americans who died in Vietnam, and that is less than the number of Americans who have died in every subsequent military conflict and war combined ever since. Mm -hmm. um, war, like pollution, weirdly enough, like a lot of like negative things that happen in the world, become becomes less tolerable. Uh, as a country gets richer and more uh, developed and democratized, or that's the wrong word, uh, Camille's going to get mad at me, mm. but you know what I mean. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I thought and you were going to do a whole Randolph-Bourne thing there where war is the health of the state, is what I thought you were going to say. Uh, no, I mean, that is it, not what you it said. Is too, and that, it is too, and that sucks, but like we don't have a tolerance for high casualty wars and you know, it was definitely part of the fall of the Soviet Union, the folly of Afghanistan, mm -hmm. And this is this happens, um, and we've had a. a I mean, we're still experiencing the ripple effects of the Iraq War and also the Afghanistan, mm -hmm. like whatever, mm -hmm. for twenty years, um, and that was very small in comparison in terms of of human lives. So in um, comparison 50, to 000, this war, this one war this that war. started in February. I mean, it, it's am yeah. it's amazing to think about. It's I had a professor yeah. in college who was like this, you know, lefty postmodernist guy. And he had this whole shtick about how the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, was like a video game. And this, this idea of smart weapons, they were not smart weapons. It's like, no, actually they were. Because do you know what happened in Germany? We just dumped bombs over cities and killed mm -hmm. people. They weren't. There was smart, 
They were smarter. They relative. were oversold. He yeah. was right about that, but they were smarter. Dep- sure. I mean, oversold by whom? I mean, look, the, the, you can hit things by Bernard Shaw. God rest well, his yeah, soul. God, God rest Bernard hand. Shaw's soul. But you can you can hit targets. And the, the 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 point of me saying this is the Russians don't care about that. They don't care about smart weapons. They don't care about minimizing casualties. They're trying to maximize them now because they're backed into a corner and they're literally blowing up dams, blowing up electrical grids. They're yeah. making people suffer. They want people to suffer. And that that is, um, and look, I can, I can imagine the objection. I can imagine the sort of, you know, the Chomskyite kind of objection. Um, but I, I disagree with it. I, th- I think that there is, there is an active campaign always to minimize civilian casualties, and it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter if it's cynical. The, it, it matters that it happens. And mm. look, the wars that shouldn't have been fought, there should have been zero civilian casualties. But there is a difference, and we have to acknowledge this, and people don't want to acknowledge this because they love these simple morality plays, that there is a difference between you know, trying to target certain things, military things, and like you know, hitting hospitals. They know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, every UN report since then, every human rights report say they know what they're doing. They don't mistakenly hit maternity wards. They do it on purpose. And they've been doing it on purpose. And it's a terror campaign. You know, I mean, look, that's, the, that's what the US and the, and, and, and the British did bombing Germany. I mean, it's, we, we can't deny that either. They just, they dumped bombs on Dresden, which was of minimal uh, usefulness militarily. I mean, some people argue that there's a train depot there. But they just, they killed a lot of people, 30,000 people. In three nights, thirty thousand people in three nights, just yeah. drump, think, dumping incendiary bombs on a city. So I think Moynihan's point of that nuclear weapons are an instrument of terror is a is yeah. is an important, if not the most. You don't important hit one to something with nuclear weapons. This. Mm-hmm. You're not looking to hit something. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they were looking to hit the city and destroy the city. And that's what there's nothing tactical about a nuclear weapon. That's a that's a misnomer. Yeah. Well, I don't have a slick transition, uh, but the reason you go to the Drudge Report website, in my estimation, is to keep tabs <laughs> on on what's happening with Donald Trump. And generally, you could tell that he's had a bad day because there will be a picture of him wincing in pain <laughs> or in some sort of jumpsuit behind the jail bars. Um, and right now, as I look, it's walls closing in. Oh, not again. How many times? Judge is saying, this. I believe it's the special master who said this. Yes, yes, um, yes. Prove the FBI planted those docs, sir. Um, earlier in the week, um, there were some reports uh, of him <laughs> saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Essentially, with respect to, uh, I believe, the... Uh, um, the claim that he had declassified docs. I guess yesterday it was that the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, sat down with Sean Hannity over at Fox News mm-hmm. and gave him an extensive interview, no holds barred. And uh, in that interview, he said that he used mental telepathy to declassify mm. documents that were being like stored over at Marlago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, essentially, all you, all you have to do is think about it. And then if you've thought about it and you've moved them to Marlago, then they no longer classified. Um, there have also been reports, um, and this was not a report, actually. There was a statement from the president's office, the former president's office, saying that he had a standing order to declassify documents that were taken to Marlago. Um, which there's no obvious record of this. So that's the Marlago stuff. But this week, the new thing is Tish James, Letitia James, who is the AG in New York State, <clears throat> not Manhattan, um, announced that there was going to be an announcement 
And then there was an announcement, and this was yesterday, and the announcement was, we are going to file an indictment. Um, there is going to be a bunch of civil charges because they can't do criminal there. Mm-hmm. The civil charges all pertain to what they are describing as all sorts of financial crimes, specifically that he was inflating the value of his properties when applying for loans on financial docs, which is illegal, um, and that he no. was in other contexts um, underreporting the value of various things in order to avoid no. taxation. Um, and she also went on to say that she hopes that the folks in the Manhattan AG office who had previously, at least for now, declined to file any sort of civil cases um, or criminal cases in that case. Um, but she says that they do have what she believes to be evidence of federal crimes. So today, when they finally file these documents, they also sent some documents um, in the direction of the Manhattan AG and the feds as well to notify them of things. And Tish James following through on all of this and showing that this is definitely not political in precisely the way that she said, um, <laughs> later on in the day issued a campaign fundraising email. Yes. Um, in which she, yes. she talked about her willingness to continue to fight against the president, of, the former president of the United States, that she will not be bullied. She is going to prosecute this case. Um, so she is fundraising on the back of this. Why is the, a- the AG um, raising which money? Should, which should surprise no one, I suppose. Um, this is this is a woman who's widely widely believed to have um, uh, broader ambitions uh, in a political from a political standpoint. This is the same woman who took out Cuomo. Um, so she's got his scalp, and now she's going for Donald Trump in some and way. And ran shape for or governor form. for ten minutes, right? Yeah. 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 So. <clears throat> from Brooklyn. Uh, uh, Camila, you gave her short shrift on that fundraising email. Yes. The subject line was, guess who's in the headlines again? That is <laughs> right. really amazing. Right. Because it can which be is, her which is, or Trump. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because in the body of the email, One, she makes it clear it's those it's those bad men that are in the yeah. headlines. But yeah. Once again, powerful and corrupt men have taken over the headlines, mm-hmm. friend. Wait, she doesn't say people. Powerful and corrupt men. Men. Yes. yes. Men. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, no, yeah. Right. Men. I have to take over the headlines. Friend. Well, I, they, they actually uh, had the f- to edit it because before it read white men. It definitely <laughs> read white men uh, at some point. Like, true. you know, yeah. we can't do that, yeah. Tish. Why, why can't <laughs> we? That's what she said. That's how she sounds. <laughs> but I'm not surprised. <laughs> Rich honkies. That, <laughs> that was the subject matter. <laughs> subject Ever matter. since I took my oath as your attorney general and swore to do everything in my power to finally bring the most corrupt actors to justice, mm-hmm. they have worked tirelessly italicized mm. to take me down. Take her down? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tish. Wow. You're take down I Tish. I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's does, true. Does New York have any tirelessly. other that the AG might be concerned about? Like, I don't know. Crimes in fairness, of like sort? Trump like, waited about ten seconds to call her like a racist, like piece of garbage or whatever. I mean, um, all of but, this strikes uh, me. No, as I mean, like probably this... true, but the thing about it is, man, we've gone from this man is an active agent of the FSB to he says her his apartment's worth a lot more than it is. I don't yes. know. It just like <laughs> yes. doesn't really doesn't really hit home for me. It's like yeah, we always knew that the guy's like I'm a billion, I'm a trillionaire, I'm a I'm worth gajillions. It's like no, you're not. And like now she's out there like I can't. And and by the way, the fundraising letter. And then the kind of campaign. She's like literally doing campaign slogans. She's like, it's not the literally art of the, the deal. Day. 
It's the art of the steel. Like literally, yes. nobody saw that before. Tish. <laughs> yes, queen. I saw that in slay queen. queen. Fucking slay queen. Like what? Aren't, aren't you supposed to be the AG? Isn't this supposed to be like somebody who's up there, like kind of in an anodyne, boring way, telling us what's happening? But also, nope. all of these properties, and the argument is right. Is 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 that you know he's rooking these banks, right? Uh huh. This is why it's a tort because you know he's taking advantage of these banks. Poor banks. Do you really think? And again, let's be clear here. Trump, Trump is a an accomplished liar, specifically when it comes to his own assets and and you know how much money he has in his back pocket. Mm-hmm. Do you think the banks just were like, all right, we'll take his word for it? You don't think they <laughs> looked into this when giving him money? They're like, oh, it's worth four hundred million. Wow, that's a lot. Get the check. Let's get him. Let's get him a check. No, they they they're not morons. Good lord, Tish James and they're going like we looked at other other apartments in the neighborhood, and that is wildly inflated. Yes, it's wildly inflated. Three hundred and twenty million dollars. There was like a, the, I think the highest priced apartment ever sold in New York was like. What, 180 or something? It's like, it's crazy. It's fully crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's so, so crazy. crazy. But also, the bank is like, all right, they, I don't buy it. I don't buy the fact that the bank is just like, yeah, we trust him. He seems super trustworthy. Just give him the money. It's like the Eddie Murphy sketch. You know, when he, when, he, when he dresses up as Mr. White, he's like, when I go into banks, they just yeah. give money to each other. Maybe that's it. You know? I mean, the, the coverage what of these I stories like, is always pretty yeah. paltry, but in this particular case, the sort of the sort of thing that I keep looking for and don't encounter is um, something that gives me an indication as to like whether or not this this is like normal behavior. If it's normal for the AG to be going after people for maybe misrepresenting the value of their holdings on a loan application. I just imagine there are definitely, lots, definitely. lots of people who have bought homes who have kind of bullshitted on their loan applications, like lots of them. Um, and I just don't, it, it seems like an odd priority for the attorney general of New York at a time when New York has some other issues that are crime related that might warrant attention. Did you see there the? Was did a, you see, uh, by the way, quick, this I had to find it. Did you see the quote when <laughs> when Sean Hannity asked him about this? <laughs> His response when he's like, you know, you're clearly making this shit up. Or you're you know having these crazy valuations. His response that the Trump organization had a quote very powerful disclaimer on all of its loan applications. Here's the quote: It basically says to an institution. You're going to loan money. You got to go out and make sure that, you know, that you get your own appraisers. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. He's basically saying, of course we lied. And it's their fault. They should have looked into it. It's, a, it's hilarious. But the tax thing, by the way, is, you know, that's what makes it feel very political to me. Is like you throw it in. Mm-hmm. That's not her remit. That's the IRS. The IRS can, mm-hmm. can go after Trump on that. And if he lied and cheated, they should go after him on that. And, and that, she's bringing that up, but that's not... That's not something that the, the, the AG can, can enforce. Uh, these are some of the reactions that happened in real time when this went down. Uh, uh, Norman Ornstein, the uh, American Enterprise Institute emeritus scholar, and he's been in D.C., I think, as long as Joe Biden has been alive. The noose is tightening on Trump. <laughs> They're still Where doing have you heard this before. Decades of grifting, corruption, rank criminality coming to an end. Mm. 
uh, MSNBC uh, contributor and former uh, Mueller investigation attorney, weird, that, um, Andrew Weissman. Uh, that sucking sound you hear is the Trump organization circling the drain. Yeah. Um, they're still doing it. I can't believe they're still doing it. It's a civil lawsuit in the state of New York. People, it's not going to solve your problems. No, and it's not okay to do this sort of thing. But let's just say this. And again, not okay, not okay, not a good thing. Here's the thing, though, is that (laughs) New York real estate, does anyone know anything about New York real estate? Who who are the people like Jared Kushner's dad? I mean, this is what we're talking about. New York real estate is an unbelievable Politburo of scumbags. Everybody's a liar in a scumbag. Even on the smallest level, Camille's bought an apartment in New York. He can tell you that you don't want to do that. Everyone is a liar. He bought a house and it apparently was made of paper that no one pointed out. (laughs) Construction. It was made of construction paper. And he was like, you know, I don't know. Stop it. (laughs) But this kind of thing, it's a joke. It's not really made of paper. You're saying about our our friend Camille Claudel. No, it it, it is actually... um, a reference to a very funny sketch uh, that um, uh, Armando Iannucci did in the Armando Iannucci show in which people are looking at houses and they discover that the entire thing's made of paper. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, no, this house was not, <laughs> it was, the house was not made of paper and we, yeah. we, yeah, you, we you made had to paper. remedy, we had you to remedy paper. a number of things I didn't expect to have to remedy. I'll just say, money. I will yes. never buy real estate in New York City again. Exactly. Because it's, it's it, to be Mother in New York, sucker. it's scumbag after scumbag. God. Everybody's a cheat. Everybody's a liar. Everybody's I mean, trying that's to that's minimize the whole thing. their taxes. You There's know? all sorts of people who should be prosecuted related to real estate in New York. And I mean, Donald Trump, I don't, I'm not a fan, but seriously, can you go after those other people too? But there's also, uh, like, people fundraise uh, on like, shoot you folks. know, the Hasidic guys that, you know, rip me off. <laughs> 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 you can do an article in the times about how like their kids can't read or something. <laughs> there was a piece, there was a piece in uh, the New York times about Steve Bannon, uh, who's getting into legal trouble over his bullshit. Uh, give me money and we're going to build like two inches of the wall yeah. on the Southern border. Yeah. I'm going to build yeah. a wall non-profit. around my house. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even and, getting uh, into trouble. He was perped walked. He is in trouble. He was perped walked. He's in trouble. Yeah. He's got, uh, and he's got civil and criminal uh, going on. Um, and uh, here's some verbiage uh, to think about, especially in light of headlines that have happened having to do with the nonprofit political adjacent sector. Keep this in mind. Mm. American politics has been supercharged by looser constraints on spending and by the Internet, which enabled campaigns and causes to raise millions with broad and instantaneous appeals. Capitalizing on a president's popularity to make or raise money is nothing new nor partisan. Neither are accusations of money making in politics, but with several endeavors launched by those in Mr. Trump's orbit, prosecutors have argued that donations were not put to their purported use and instead enriched the organizers. Huh, is that happening in other places that don't have anything to do with Donald Trump? I would heartily recommend people do the thing that I did uh, uh, earlier this afternoon. Um, we're, we're taping this on a Thursday because um, uh, I was thinking about this and and, and the, the feelings and emotions that it brings up. Um, do a Google News search on like uh, political... Nonprofit fund abuse. 
you can have, you know, if you want to do misappropriation, there's a lot of different you things. Type in but Lincoln like the, Project, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even come up because I mean, it's Google News search, right? Like, I want some fresh material. Um, it's stunning the amount of shit that is out there. There is um, th- this month alone, the Daily Beast, actually, who we've slagged on many occasions here, had a pretty good investigative piece about Sean King. Um, Talcomax. Oh man, <laughs> I don't, I don't like that. I don't Schultz. like that. Good I know you don't, but it's funny. Like that. That's the problem. Thurgood Marshmallow is pretty good though. These are references. These are references to Andrew Schultz, and the problem with it is that Andrew Schultz is funny, yeah. and that's why. But Sean King, who uh, writes, uh, I think he, he still writes in the Daily News, a, a regular column. He started a um, nonprofit in the middle of the George Floyd affair in 2020 um, and a daily beast investigation. And it's a proper one um, went in and tried to like, Oh, where did that $6.7 million go? And it kind of went like nowhere. None of the places that, that were uh, said to well, have went been. Somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 He bought, an anti, he bought an anti-racist G wagon. <laughs> <laughs> It has a vanity plate that makes a very strong point. (laughs) It's astonishing. Also, the Black Lives Matter, this is separate now, uh, the Black Lives Matter various organizations are all suing the hell out of each other. It's Black Lives Matter Grassroots is suing an executive of Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation Mm. for allegedly stealing $10 million in donation. Mm. Um, uh, And then there's also, at the same time, a whole bunch of things. Brett Favre, the former uh, uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback, is involved with just like... Helping basically steal welfare money in Mississippi to buy a volleyball yeah. court. That, it's that, fucking crazy. That story that got it's, su- substantially worse for Brett, where the text messages were like, is there any way anyone can find out where yeah, this yeah, money came yeah. from? Yeah. And they're yeah. like, nah. The, 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 <laughs> the no answer way, is Brett. this text message. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just answered your own question by what? putting it and committing it to text. Come yeah. on, I mean, Brett. The, the, the thing about the Bannon thing is I pointed out before. steal money for a volleyball the gym. I, I am sure that Bannon is skimming off the top on all this stuff. It doesn't surprise me at all. And I don't yeah. think it's okay. And he should also be punished for Also, the, the, the bottom and the sides. Yeah, the bottom and the sides. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, you don't buy seven shirts with no money. I mean, you got to, those yeah, are expensive shirts. So he does a thing. And the guy who, who started this thing, he says he's not going to pay himself a salary. That's what he says. He's like, all the money, 100% goes to this. And then he pays himself a salary. It's like $300,000, It's not the biggest salary in the world, right? But all he had to do was say, I'm going to pay myself a salary. That's it. Because, you know, the head of the American Diabetes Association makes what? Like $2 million? You know, the head of all of these things. Look at, look at um, you know, what is it? GuideStar, one of the, all these places that look at um, 501c3s. And they always judge like, you know, how much goes to the organization, how much, how much goes to administration and how much the executives make. And all of these like cancer things that they all make like a million dollars, two million dollars. You just got to say it up front. You just can't you can't tell people that it's all going to the and wall. do something. You got to say, I'm going to take and a do cut something. Too. Yeah. And, and do something. Yeah. Do something. too. And the thing is, the closer that it goes to politics, I'm going to write about this on Friday at Reason, um, the closer it has to do with immediate like passion politics 
right? That was the the wall building exercise. I forget what the exact moment in time that was, but there was some like moment where Trump's wall building was sort of thwarted, I think, in the courts or by Congress. And so Bannon's like, fuck it, I'm going to build the wall. Give me money. Yeah. People are like, yes, I'm fired up right now. I'll do the thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure right now, right the fuck now, there are people like, fuck it. I will uh, pay for the next busload of Venezuelans to go to whatever liberal fucker that I don't like. Yeah. Plain, and plain load. conversely, yeah. or plane load, <laughs> and conversely, the opposite. I will spend money on anyone who says I will reverse that bus and send it straight to Ron DeSantis's yeah. like, shantytown People somewhere outside of Miami. <laughs> People want to do that. And my suggestion is that they actually don't really care that they're being rooked because the thing that they wanted to do in the moment, like a lot of political spending, like people who give money to fraudulent organizations after a natural disaster, mm. um, but like more more so like in a political moment, you look for someone who's wearing the biggest noticeable T-shirt saying, I hate that guy and I got and I got power to do something about it. And you're like, fuck it. I am going to feel good in the act of giving the money over there. I'm not necessarily going to be super keyed in on the follow through. I don't think there's a lot of people like like, all right, what's your third quarter prospectus of building the wall, Mr. Mm -hmm. Band? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because I was really in it, it, that section of the border in particular. It means a lot to me. Right. That's not what the, the donation was. Doesn't for. everybody say when they check out at like Whole Foods and that last <laughs> South Park did a very, very funny episode on this, but that last thing before you like, you know, check debit or something or credit, it says, would you like to give X number of dollars to, you know, X organization? And the reason most people don't do that is because they're like, I don't know where this is going. Who the fuck? Like, you just asked me right now. Like, I don't, like, do you have some, like, literature? Or are you just going to say, like, an organization on a little touchscreen, and then I'm just going to give you money? Some people do this, right? But most people are kind of skeptical. They're kind of skeptical, like, is this, you know, even putting a fucking quarter in the thing at the bodega for, like, the March of Dimes, I'm like, that's going into this guy's pocket. You always assume it's going into the person's <laughs> pocket. Who the fuck is not assuming this? It doesn't mean they should get away with it. It doesn't mean Bannon should get away with this. But I'm just saying, like, who fucking doesn't expect that? I expect that you're going to steal the money because <laughs> that's what people do. They're all scumbags and liars. So I think I think that the takeaway for normal human beings is not to like automatically poo poo any piece of journalism. The Washington Post has been doing some really great stuff about how uh, pandemic money has been misspent. Like it's a huge yeah. project and it's amazing yeah. and terrible. Yeah. Uh, and and um, there's uh, the Justice Department cracked down on a bunch of people in Minnesota, like uh, just <laughs> nonprofits uh, like stealing money that are supposed to go pandemic uh, relief for kids and, and all of this. It like charities and kids that didn't exist, by the way. Which is hilarious. It didn't yeah, exist. Yeah. They mm. just invented kids. Yeah. Mm. It's it's uh, it's yeah. horrific. Um, but like, uh, uh, it's not to it's not to say that oh we shouldn't do that. I don't think you should politicize it. I don't think that it should be a thing that only New York elected districts attorneys or prosecutors in general do. But that's how we're we're it's happening in this politicized environment that we live in. What I'm suggesting is that like, don't pay money 
to people who are offering you the sweet, sweet release of like anger <laughs> donations. It's not even nobody on the screen. It's thing. literally Steve Bannon. <laughs> it's fucking Steve Bannon. Bannon. Like, give me your money. I'm like, don't uh, give him money. I don't know about that, Steve. Really? He's like, yeah, give me some money. Don't. I mean, like uh, Trump immediately fundraised in addition to Tish James. Um, yeah. like, the moment this happened, and but, he's but he, never going to pay a dime. Illegal. He kind of needs the help, though. That's the thing. Kind of. Uh, yeah, and by the way, you want to talk about fucking thieving? I mean, look at what they have done in their fundraising and where that money has gone after you know the stomp the steal kind of collection mm-hmm. plate, which yeah, has like gone all, all missing. Fees. Who yeah. knows where that is? And, and remember when I was in Poland. At the beginning of the Ukraine war, I remember saying on this podcast, and I remember thinking at the time, I went to this uh, 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 bus station where all these people were coming in from Ukraine, and there was these huge, huge things of clothes. And there were people, like all these people getting off the buses because they couldn't bring anything with them, and they were going through the clothes. It's just like thousands of people. And then there was a tent, and it had um, baby formula, and it had all this stuff. And I remember saying, I said on this podcast, but I remember saying it to the person I was with, I was like, holy shit, this actually gets here. Like, this is actually people, you know, said donate clothes, and there's literally Ukrainians taking in the clothes in front of me. And I was so shocked by that. And the lesson is your default is like, this is all bullshit. It's never going to get there because it doesn't seem like it ever does, right? And when it actually happens, you're surprised. So when someone asked me for money uh, for the, the great uh, uh, border wall, the Steve Bannon is going to build out of gold bricks. I'm just like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't think that's going to, you know, in Tish James, like, by the way, can we, we should revisit it sometime that Cuomo, who was the great hero that everyone was like, I want to, you know, just, you know, brew a cup of tea and get warm and like, put my duvet over me and watch him give his little press conference. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And everyone was yeah. doing that. Reminded me, of course, of the Donald Rumsfeld little brief moment where people did that yeah. after 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it didn't work out so well, did it? But um, my, my mother-in-law, who listens to the podcast, listens to like every episode. I will discover, I'm God like, on, I'm featured on some podcast and she's listening to it. So no. I always, I, I mean, I, I try not to alert. think about it. I try she's trying to, to get rid of you. It. She's trying so to find some like, shit that, like, you know, <laughs> she's like the no. Tish James of your life. No, no, no. She's <laughs> gathering evidence. No. You're her Steve Bannon, her I white whale. I never, I never thought about that before. Yeah, totally. Uh, but let's, let's make it worse. It's fine. But um, the, on the Cuomo she, thing, she, oh, yeah, she had all the Cuomo stuff. I was just saying she had all the Cuomo stuff. Like she yeah, had the poster, yeah. she got the book, like the first edition. Oh, yeah, it might have been yeah. signed. She would talk about like, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Love Gov. That was her People dude. Love, and, and I told and, her at the time, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Love Gov is a little too much. I don't lovely. know. He's going to grab then, you from behind. I want to point out that we have a signed. Uh, Love Gov poster in the uh, in the recording studio in uh, in Chinatown. Yes. Oh my um, goodness. Of the, remember his crazy posters about like how he defeated the pandemic. Yeah, this is from the book. Yeah. yeah. Like insane. Yeah. Insane. The book yeah. that he wrote in the midst the... of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And While got, like, he was letting old people die. Yeah. yeah. He's writing yeah. called If I Did It. You know. You know who he wasn't it. letting die. <laughs> Young hot girls in his office that were writing well, the book for him. Like that. That was fine. But Come I brought here, him baby. up, by the way, because... Come here and, and sit, turn around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I brought him up, by the way, because Take because he was off. disgraced. Nobody paid yeah. attention to this, right? Yeah. And I think the disgrace was a little overdone. But uh, he filed an ethics complaint against Tish James. And I don't know what became of that. But he filed like a pretty significant ethics complaint against her. And, you know, it went chapter and verse 
because she was like, you know, plotting to take him down <laughs> and take over the role of governor, which is like, this is the thing, you know, you have to separate the fact that maybe the gov was a little little handsy with the fact that maybe Letitia James was not on the up and up when she was investigating him or anybody else. So Yeah. Before we lose the uh, the thread of this particular topic, I wanted to at least get a little bit of, of uh, Moynihan on uh, another social justice organization what? that had some difficulties um, uh, and internal dissensions and lawsuits and whatever. Um, that weird, weirdly got a rehabilitation job at the New York Times, the Women's March, uh, oh, about four or five days ago. Yes, the Women's March, which had been, I think, initially in tablet by Leah McSweeney, McSweeney and uh, and uh, Jacob Siegel, right? Am uh, I getting that right? Yeah, I think it was, I think them it was too, also Armin Rosen. I think Armin Rosen wrote about this. Or too, Armin yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, and uh, who looked into like just kind of crazy. Uh, like straight up anti-Semitism. Well, taken down by the lady from the Real Housewives. <laughs> Although she wasn't on it's there yet, right? She wasn't was on like there right yet. before. No, it was right yeah. before. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's she, she, she almost got caught she, up in that whole world and then she went and became mm, like Real Housewives star. Yeah, and then she's throwing yeah, glasses I mean, of uh, rosé on, on other bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what new? What that's new? the language they use. I'm not saying that she's a bitch. I'm just, uh, she's lovely. Right. I've met that's her. Right. She's great. I like her a lot. <laughs> The New York Times had a piece five days ago, and I've only read the headline at about 600 words before throwing rosé glasses at it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, the headline, which is not in front of me, is basically like Russian troll farms. Yeah. Like a stoked division um, to try to like come after uh, the Women's March movement uh, un unfairly. Yeah. And uh, uh, Michael, I think it is, read by that. the way, the most insane headline. <laughs> Tell me what this headline means. How Russian trolls helped keep the Women's March out of lockstep. Can, like what? what? Can what? you not hire somebody from the New York Post to make Out it a of fucking lockstep? punchy headline? Uh, Out of lockstep. As American right, so feminists came together in 2017 to protest Donald Trump, Russia's disinformation machine set about yeah. deepening the divides among them. Okay, there's a couple of things about this. First, you have to start with divides. They didn't create them. They just were like, if this is even true, and God knows all these stories are very, very strange. It's if somebody's like, you know, she says things about Jews. Well, put a tweet about the, <laughs> she doesn't like Jews. The other one, like Farrakhan, put a tweet about Farrakhan. We'll deepen divide and create bad lop steps. Does that make sense? No, it does not. But yes, bad luck steps. Very bad. Like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> Ellen, ba and I love this thing. It's like the first line. Linda Sarsour awoke on January 23rd, 2017, mm. logged onto the internet, and felt sick. Oh, believable. Unbelievable. She had COVID. I don't know what that is. But <laughs> Linda Sarsour, who said some pretty interesting stuff over the years, and uh, that had been brought up by certain people. And there were mm. other people that, uh, you know, uh, that I think it was Tamika Mallory, uh, everybody's favorite yeah. from, yeah. from uh, uh, BLM. Yeah. Uh, friend, of, friend of me and Camille. Yeah, well, me, I mean, friend is a little strong. We, we went on a junket to Switzerland. We went on a junket with her. her. Yeah. Oh, man. It was years Talk ago. Talk about the Jews at any point? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. Yeah. 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 I think I would yeah. remember that. Yeah, we talked about you know, and you were Swiss like Tamika, that's actually Germany. And... This is Switzerland. She's like, I'm <laughs> I liked Tamika. I enjoyed her company. No, yeah. no, I, I I did back then too. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know how she feels about us now. I mean, maybe maybe things have changed. I don't know. 
been a long uh, time. There is trying whole... to get her on the podcast. <laughs> we there, do that. You can try. Yeah. Yeah. Ask her. It gives a little background, by the way, and it um, got a background about how how the KGB did this. So you always have to provide that. Um, and it actually yeah. mentions Ladislav Bittman, who was a Czech defector in the 70s and wrote about disinformation and how the how the um, secret police and, and various Russian uh, satellite states did this and how they pushed it out there. Mm-hmm. Who was who was roundly ignored at the time, by the way, as like because he was like, you know, they put him on the cover of like human events. Basically, he's mm-hmm. the one that's in like all these conservative magazines. And now he's an authority on this stuff. But it's funny. And it's like there is no sense of the impact of this stuff. There yeah, is no like nothing. Se- like, nothing. Yeah. And, you know, somebody says like, oh, the Russians uh, saw like this stuff was was happening. And then they um, and then they uh, uh, tweeted about it. It's like, yeah, but they still said the things that they said that were reported on tablet. That uh, that led to in 2019, the board uh, dissolving and fracturing. Yes. Because the board members themselves said, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah, that's not good. (laughs) We don't want you on the board. Yes. And the, none of those people were Russians, yeah. as far as I can tell. They were like board members talking about the board and the things that people on the board had said. It's it's funny because there's this one here that says, some of these posts found a large audience. You have to find one that finds a large audience. <laughs> and it says that some um, an internet research agency account posting as 10 GOP, a fictional right-wing American from the South, tweeted that Ms. Sarsour f- f- favored imposing Sharia law in the United States. Um, playing into the popular anti-Muslim conspiracies theory that Donald Trump had helped popularize on the campaign trail. Um, I actually don't remember Sharia being a big talking point of Donald Trump on the campaign trail. Maybe he mentioned it once or something, but it wasn't really, you know, something that... And that, and that conspiracy theory, which was around along uh, with the Ground Zero mosque uh, yeah, uh, period, yeah. uh, that predated uh, Donald it Trump. It predates Donald Trump, the, it predates yeah. Russians and all that stuff. And it says it, it, it racked up... Uh, 8,000 retweets and 6,000 likes, which this is the, I guess this is the biggest one they can find. And the thing about this is that there's a million people saying the exact same thing. There's like Frank Gaffney and these people saying the exact same thing. And it totally takes, nobody here actually addresses what Linda Sarsour actually said that is real and controversial. It's not, this is not mentioned. And it is just saying that these are, this is what happens. These people say these crazy conspiracy theories. Yeah, anybody can do that. You don't have to be the Russian state. You can say, oh, she believes in Sharia law, and somehow a bunch of people are going to retweet it. You see all these nobodies that get 10,000. You know, but I mean, the bigger concern, obviously, is that there's stuff like blatantly false by, you know, honest-to-goodness journalists that get 4,000. I mean, we talked about the shooting thing that Camille pointed out, this guy who was shot, and he had no gun on him, and it got, what, 40,000 retweets? You know, and the video showed that he was unarmed and the video showed the opposite of that. And that got 40,000 retweets. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's triple, quadruple the number of this. No Russians, no Kremlin. The thing is, is people like to believe bullshit. It doesn't matter who puts it out there. You know, and, and the idea also that somehow it was that, it was the Sharia, it was all that stuff that made the Women's March themselves implode. You think the people within the Women's March believe that? Like, oh my gosh, she believes in Sharia law. There's some geo, fake GOP yeah. account just opened my eyes. Come yeah. on now. I mean, what a way of undermining 
the reporting that actually showed that there was a lot of really nasty opinions from a lot of, you know, really sketchy characters at the top of that uh, women's march. And it doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of people that I knew that went to that and people that I disagree with on, you know, countless issues that were, you know, honest brokers and hated Donald Trump and thought he was a bad guy and was gross about women, all of which you can make a very convincing argument about. But it does, like people went, the, the fracturing of this stuff was that the people that start these organizations and they head these organizations are professional these people. And professional these people tend to have a lot of baggage and have a lot of crazy views. And that stuff was just, you know, unearthed, very easy to unearth it by people who wrote real accounts of it, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm gonna look now and see, nope, there's not one mention of, I, I just looked for the word tablet, not one mention of tablet magazine. Not one. Mm. Yeah. Not a Which single one. Fundamental. The, the Sharia law thing is funny. I don't I don't remember Trump talking about Sharia law outside of the context of um that like there was a terror attack that happened, right? And he was interviewed about that a few times. And in one of the I interviews, mean, the San I remember him attack. talking about it several times. Like the, these, he, he these about the people San want Sharia law, but he was talking about the terrorists. Yeah, it was more like just keep them out, right? Like there's yeah. the Muslim ban, uh, and and like we got to close down parts of Facebook until we know what's going on in, in December yeah, of 2015. We'll shut the down this whole thing until we know what's going on. Yeah, which still is a phrase stuff. that yeah. everyone who works in any kind of Slack setting is going to use <laughs> at least once a week in some. <laughs> It, it, I mean, look, complete and total shutdown of this political party's yes. Twitter feed. It's bullshit when you say, uh, you know, random organizations, uh, Muslim organizations believe in Sharia law. You mm -hmm. know, people say this sort of thing. You know, there's, you remember in, um, you know, what's his name in Kansas, who was like the anti-Sharia law bills and all this kind of crazy stuff. Right. But at the same time, it's not 9-11 trutherism. It's not QAnon, it's not Comet Pizza. I watched today an interview, which I've always loved, because I think it's in a master's class on how to, give, how to do a great, um, you know, subtle, cutting interview, is the great uh, former BBC interviewer, Andrew Neal, um, talking to, I think it's Ahmed Qureshi, who's a guy from this group Cage Prisoner, and they were talking about um, like uh, this guy, M. Wazi, who was one of the Beatles. Do you remember the Beatles? The guys that mm, were the oh, head, yeah, head choppers yeah, yeah. of ISIS. And they have this guy on, and it is an amazing interview. Um, amazing. Because Andrew Neal so just, just backs him in the corner. And the guy is saying that he will not denounce Sharia law and saying he wants that in the UK. And saying, like, and Andrew Neal's like, so you would say that it, you were opposed to um, stoning people for adultery. And he's like, you know, I don't think that's a real issue here. And he won't, he, and he keeps pushing him. And he won't say no to it. There are people who believe this stuff. The thing is that it's actually misplaced when you say to like anybody who has some organization, like, oh, they're, they're going to bring Sharia law. I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy theory. It's just misattributing views to people. It's not a conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theories tend to be things like, you know, the Israelis were behind 9-11. It's not true. To put this as just like a general thing that's like kind of a fantasy, like, oh, there's these people who say this stuff. I don't think that Linda Sarsour has ever said anything like that. I don't know, because it doesn't actually say so in this piece, and they don't actually go over her views. But at the end of it, it says like, you know, I'm not, you know it's ruined her life five years later. And like, you know, she's not invited on blah, blah, blah anymore. You know, she did say some pretty crazy things. And she's a pretty extreme voice in a lot of ways. And that was in those tablet magazine pieces. I don't have it in front of me. I could, 
you know, highlight the stuff and, you know, post it. And I don't think you could find a September 2019 New York Times piece about how the board of the organization fractured by, over by controversial Barry Weiss, statements. Right? Oh, was it by Barry? Oh, Barry actually did something on Linda's. That changes everything. But isn't it amazing <laughs> that the New York Times is saying this, uh, uh, like this kind of rehabilitation? And it was Barry Weiss that, um, that wrote a piece in 2017 called uh it's when progressives embrace hate and it is um i think mentions the one f uh, the so one from 2019 is is a uh, uh, a more straight news story um but i think i think the the underlying commonality here is that the women's march which is a huge damn march after trump got elected it was huge pussy hats everywhere um and it was it was actually kind of um uh, uh uh just kind of staggering in its size um in a similar way stop it stop it stop it you stop it um no but like uh issues uh ideas movements that quickly get to the most kind of uh, popular crystallization thereof. Mm. And Black Lives Matter is an important uh, uh, idea about that because it was a slogan. It was a challenge to people, especially like on the 2016 Democratic uh, presidential uh, campaign. Um, you know, like every candidate, like, do Black Lives Matter? Mm. And they would have to answer in a certain way. Um, <laughs> it's also the name of certain organizations that have certain ideologies and they have certain competing factions among others. But like it, it's the thing that is in the window of one out of every six brownstones within walking distance of where I live, I don't think is tethered to an organization. So the organizations on the other end of that got so much free fucking money, mm. right? Because if you were a good liberal person or a good anti-racist person and you wanted to demonstrate your bona fides, you would hit the button that says Black Lives Matter funding Boop, mm. right there. It's very, very easy to do. And this is the source of the grift. Not that everybody who is the recipient of that is in on it, but that it is all enabled because of it because you haven't looked at it. You just, you want to demonstrate that you're good. You'll do that. You'll hit the button. And that button looks like I'm going to build the wall with Steve Bannon. I'm going to help Donald Trump against the the Marxists or whatever. I'm going to help the anti-wokes with Ron DeSantis. You hit the fucking button. That is the shortest little thing right there. And again, do that Google news search of nonprofit fund, you know, abuse, uh, political, and you will see crazy, crazy shit everywhere. Like the grift is built in until you yourself, who is funding it, stops it. Um, and I'm glad that we have a criminal justice system. I don't want it to be politicized um, that goes after <laughs> it. And we, I'm glad that we have journalism that goes after it too. And we should lionize it when it's worthy of it. But fuck, um, don't hit the fucking easy button. It's not just because you feel better by hitting it doesn't mean you made the world better even a little tiny fucking bit. It's possible. Instead, you bought some fucker a uh, mansion in Beverly Hills that he or she wouldn't have been able to afford or want to have or deserve to have in any other circumstance. Can I, can I go back to Linda Sarsour for one second? This is yeah. amazing. 
Um, <laughs> the end of this piece, which is really just a tearjerker, um, it says she is seldom invited to national platforms these days. And when she is, protests Sucks, often follow. Whatever buzz there was around her as a future political candidate has quieted. She knows how she's seen as a polarizing figure. This is an amazing follow-up sentence. I mean, how clueless do you have to be? She knows what she is. Uh, she knows how she's seen as a polarizing figure. Next sentence. She's adjusted to this reality and sees herself more as an activist in the mold of Angela Davis. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not a polling, polarizing figure who was on the FBI's most wanted list and a, the vice presidential candidate for the American <laughs> Communist Party for two seconds. But by the way, I said something before. I said, you know, I think this is wrong. You know, saying Sharia and this woman. I don't know anything about that. Um, here's a tweet from Linda Sarsour, 2015. Y'all, you'll know when you're living under Sharia law, if suddenly all of your loans and credit cards become interest-free. Sounds nice, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. She's like, she was trying to sell uh, yeah. on the virtues. I, I tell you what, I'm just going to emphasize the interest <laughs> issues of Sharia law. Um, so by the way, in, in this thing of like, she's just, life has just become unbearable for her. She has 320,000 Twitter followers. And uh, last year, uh, Simon & Schuster published uh, her book, We're Not Here to Be Bystanders, A Memoir of Love and Resistance. Mm. Uh, if that is a failure and if that is being isolated, then give it to me. Well, it's I failure would, of a know. sort. It's failure of a sort. I'm sure. Uh, um, what, she doesn't go to MSNBC for free anymore? Maybe. <laughs> I, trust me, they'll, they'll invite her after this. Yeah. I want to talk about um, the immigration stuff a little bit, specifically the planes headed to Martha's Vineyard. Now, as I understand it, I had to go look, look into this because it was not clear what the hell was going on. And it's, it's still the case that folks are trying to pull all the pieces together. But as best as I can understand things, Governor Abbott, in Texas was doing the thing. You'd get some illegal immigrants who had come into the country and bust them to various places. We've talked about that. New York, Chicago, all kinds of places. At some point, DC. the governor of Florida, in DC, yes, the governor of Florida decides, well, you know what? I want to get in on the action. And he doesn't fill a plane with a bunch of people who came into Florida illegally. He sends someone to nope. Texas mm -hmm. <laughs> to find a recruit, actually. And mm -hmm. this is what she had to do over the course of days, as it's been reported out, to recruit 50-odd Venezuelans Bad who had come into the country illegally yeah. so that they could go to Martha's Vineyard. Now, granted, what they were told is that they were going to Boston. There would be many, many days of, of help for them. But it's not obvious that these people were ever informed, look, we're actually from Florida. We don't have any affiliation with those people. We're just telling you, we'll get you out there. It'll be fine. And of course, everyone has heard that the, the residents of Martha's Vineyard initially responding in a way that suggested they were going to help these people. And within a day or two, there was another bus that showed up um, and took all these folks to a military base nearby. To Cape Cod. And I think, by the way, that was because um, I don't think actually there's been a lot of um, people making this point that like, look, then they just kicked them out. I think it was because the asylum applications or the things that they had to do, they couldn't actually do it in Martha's Vineyard. They had to do it in Cape Cod. Right. They actually had the facilities for it. So it wasn't as if they were just throwing them off the island. I don't think that that's. But, but I mean, they did want yeah. them off the island. That was pretty obvious. They didn't want them to show up there in those, in those on those planes. They, I don't, don't, I don't know. I was, it's hard. Yeah, they don't, I don't they know. Yeah. The sense that I've gotten, given given the reporting, given the response to all this, this is a racist 
monstrous stunt. It was terrible. And it was obviously a stunt um, meant to drive attention towards the particular men who are behind <laughs> this stuff. But most of the consternation recently has been, were these people lied to? And it seems obvious that at a minimum, they were misled because folks didn't tell them exactly what it was they were doing, who they were working on behalf of. Um, but beyond that, there are questions about like whether or not there was a crime committed by either the governor of Texas or the governor of Florida. Words like kidnapping have been thrown around. But it's not clear that any of these things are, in fact, crimes. I do know that people who are seeking asylum here in the United States do have some rights. And some of the potentially fraudulent activity that could be a potential problem. But it's also the case that it seems like there were these contract employees that were doing stuff or contract workers who were doing stuff on behalf of Florida. Is there tremendous wisdom spending this kind of money, which I think it came out to like $10,000 per person to get them over to Martha's Vineyard. So this is a very expensive program. I don't know. None of that is quite clear to me, um, but it's also not clear that there's anything here that's like prosecutable. I just wish that no, it's this is the malign, the malign influence of Donald Trump's politics, his type of politics. You know, I, I said that the other day, I thought it was a funny troll uh, that they were doing this initially. And there's a certain point that you're like, okay, what what is the end game here? You're running for office. You're 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 going to run for, pre the, for 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 president, and you like the rest of the Republican Party have finally just started indulging only in this kind of stunt politics that Donald Trump did so well. And Ron DeSantis, if I were advising him, I would say that you should think about this. You should think about the long term strategy here. And stop maybe the stunts, you know, particularly yeah. because it's very, very um, ill-considered to take Venezuelans. There was considerable reporting that there was anger <clears throat> in Miami, you know, very conservative Republican-leaning constituencies of Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, and Cubans of saying, you know, don't play games with people who are not just like average economic migrants who were like, you know right. what? I'd prefer not to be in El Salvador. I want to make yeah. more money and send the money home. These are people escaping the communist communism. dictatorship. Yeah. yeah. And that that's <laughs> like, why would you choose Venezuelans as a, as the governor of Florida? It seems pretty ill-advised to me, but just the whole thing is like, everybody seems to be out to lunch on this one. The idea that it's kidnapping is ridiculous. I just, I mean, it's, no one's been kidnapped. First of all, they're in the country illegally. It's amazing how laws are all of a sudden, you know, we are gonna, those, those aren't real laws. They can just walk in, that's totally fine. But you know, this is kidnapping. I don't think, I think it's a bad um, stunt. I mean, the point has been made. And at what point are you going to keep doing this and saying, what needs, what I need from Ron DeSantis is a border policy that is beyond the phrase, the three word, three word phrase, build a wall. What is your border policy? What is it going to be? Because you are running for president, not officially yet, but there's no way you're not running for president. You can't back out of it at this point. So tell mm -hmm. me what it is. I mean, you can show this influx of people, these millions of people coming through and say, nobody really wants this. The big hearted people who are, you know, 
rock rib Democratic voters, they don't want it. You've made the point that they don't want it in their backyard. Nobody, like, I get it, what you're saying. It, it makes sense, right? You're saying that we have to deal with this and you don't. So it's very easy for you to say, oh, just welcome them and that's it. No, there's a lot more to this. You've made the point. So make the point now of what you're going to do if you become President DeSantis about the border. Are mm-hmm. you going to do something different than Joe Biden? Are you going to do something different than Donald Trump? Are you going to go back to trying to hold people in Mexico, et cetera? Et cetera. <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, I get the stunt. Okay, flat, now, flat everyone from the border into Democratic Vineyard, states. Which is going That's to be what he'll an, do as president of the United States. Yes, Same it's going to be Venezuela. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barack Obama and Venezuela is what it's going to be. Um, but like, no, I mean, it's what, at a certain point, you have to get serious. And Ron DeSantis has really started enjoying the headlines. He started enjoying seeing himself in the headlines. He mm. loves that thing. It's just it's like, like Hunter Biden going down a slide. He's with his dong <laughs> flying all over the place. Holding yeah. his, his future in his hands. Yeah. And this is not a political thing about his policies in any way. It's just that there's a point at which you have to become a serious person because yeah. American politics has been taken over by people who are deeply unserious in every way. And it's not as if the serious people have been fantastic in the past, but I would like to get back to a level and a measure of seriousness so we can actually understand what is going to happen beyond you know, flying people and saying, aha, look at you stupid liberals, we got you. All right, okay, good. Now, what's next? I would like to add on to that um, uh, wise uh, observation that also applies to the president of the United States. Mm. And that's not to say that Michael wasn't implying that uh, he was just addressing Ron DeSantis. Um, there have been a record number of interdictions. Yes. That's the right pronunciation yes. of that word on the border um, already this year. Um, and it's hard to measure these things exactly, but there's just a lot. A lot of people have drowned in the Rio Grande. Yes. I, think, I'm, I think it's a new record uh, that we've seen there. Um, it's really fucked up right now, the way that the system works. The individual communities and property owners um, that have dealt with what happens when suddenly the legal immigration process is kind of choked off. And so you go and you try to take illegal ways to use the asylum process. Like there's all this, there's going to be pressure of people who want to come into the country. And and these are different people than they were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, it was 98% Mexicans across the Southern border, or 95%, mm-hmm. whatever. It was, a, it was Mexicans. That's who we were talking about. It ain't that now. Right. It's Venezuelans and Cubans, partly because and this doesn't get a lot of play. And you would think that it would in Florida, among other places. But the wet foot, dry foot policy was changed um, under Barack Obama. It was and was not altered really uh, under Donald Trump either. So Cubans, and Venezuelans and other people uh, who are not from the traditional areas of immigration um, are suddenly showing up there. Right. So there's all this migratory pressure. So what a president of the United States might do in this in this particular thing is say, oh, my God, you know, we have a lot of people here. We have, uh, you know, stress on certain communities. Um, It is highlighting the way that the legal immigration system isn't working. A legal immigration system that has a lot of of leeway available to it by the executive branch, as was codified by the Supreme Court under Donald Trump, by the way. So like a president could do something about this right now, not necessarily in the exact moment, but like you could 
concentrate your forces more than saying, oh, Kamala Harris is the border czar. She's not going to really go to the border um, <laughs> or do anything. Uh, we're going to try to limit her sentences <laughs> to, to you know, less than 20 words. Um, it's, it, it, he could do something. And what I would like him to do and uh, uh, is say that there should be a lot more and a lot easier legal immigration so that all the stress points aren't necessarily on asylum from certain types of seekers going to, through certain borders of entry. But that conversation is not what we have in the country. What you have is fucking uh, John Cronin. Cornyn, however you pronounce yeah. his fucking name, because it's spelled badly. It's very, it's a badly spelled name. It's his fault. It's um, his fault. Yeah, uh, it is. Mm -hmm. um, That's fair. Uh, say like you know, uh, uh, we've got to uh, we we got to solve this problem. You know, hashtag fentanyl, Joe. <laughs> Oh my God. You know, 108,000 American thing. deaths. Yeah, yeah. Fentanyl, Jay. It's that so, unbelievable. They're all, they're, they're just bad. Single... They're bad. It's like a, seeing a bad Beatles cover band. It's like, oh God, I know this song, but it doesn't sound like it. This doesn't really sound like it. Is there a single like politician it. who's been good at no, it? Like, no. Nobody. No, really? I mean, DeSantis is especially bad at it. He just doesn't have the personality for it. He doesn't have that. He's uh, like, he just, he's not, he, like, he doesn't have any magnetism on stage, but. You know, the thing about this is that we used to say, and we've been very kind of generous about immigration on this podcast, and we've been, you know, not restrictionists in, in the way that um, so many people are these days. But I'm going to say this. I, I have said for many years, you know, the old uh, map that Reason published about, uh, you know, do it legally. There is no legal way. Um, or it doesn't really exist. Get in line. There's no line. It's time yeah. to stop pointing that out and actually start point, start formulating something to create a, a, a serious system. What is the new what line? What is the new line? Instead of saying it doesn't exist, great, it doesn't exist. What do we do then, right? Mm, yeah. there are, we're on pace now. There have been 2 million, 2 million arrests. And that's not everybody. Most of them are getting, a lot of people are getting through. 2 mm. million arrests at the border this year that have projected it'll be two and a half million by the end of the year. Two and a half million. That's more than that's half the population of Ireland just walking across the border. Very dangerous thing, as you said, a lot of people dying, kids dying, hmm. drowning in the Rio Grande. One of the most amazing things about this <coughs> is this is what you point out when you're Ron DeSantis. If, you, if this is your policy and you want to, to crack down on this, this is what you point out. You take it from the Washington Post. These are numbers that are indisputable. Instead of doing stunts, make your case to the American people. One of the cases that you could make is that uh, the number of people crossing the border, and this is quoting from the Post now, expelled under Title 42 has been falling and remains far lower under Biden than, than President Donald Trump. About 36% of the 203,000 migrant encounters, quote unquote encounters, resulted in an expulsion last month, down from 83% when Biden took office from 83% to 36% during this presidency. Talk about a great talking point. That's something, it's just collapsed, right? You can say, I think this is a good thing, it's a bad thing, whatever. But as a political I mean, title, point- Title 42 is, is, in its application, is questionable, sure. right? Like yeah, about I mean, the, like, again- The idea of it is like, it's a pandemic thing. Yes, in the entire- right? There's a pandemic the, emergency measure. Well, it also goes to the point when Biden kind of, you know, walks into a closet and then yells out to Scott <laughs> yeah, Pelley that the pandemic's over. 
that does that mean all the pandemic things that you know that there's a lot that has to be shut down if the pandemic's over, right? Yeah, there's a lot of policy things that have to be shut down. But that that like if you were to make that argument, right, and just to say, look, our border policy is screwed up, but the incentive is wrong. All the yeah. incentives are wrong when you have two and a half million people being detained. That's two and a half million people being detained. Is that not everyone's detained, by the way? Some people just walk right on through and that's fine. Let's say that that number is 3 million in one year, right? Why is that? And why does every single person, where there are really good cases to make for, for political asylum, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, all three of the tops, right? You can make this, but everybody is claiming political asylum. Why? Because you don't need, I mean, look, it was, it was clear during the, the migration. Because thing, legal... But legal because legal immigration has been choked. Choked, That's yes, it, it. it's choked. Yeah. I mean, you need to reform the system. But now, I mean, you have this situation where, in the migrant wave in 2015 in Europe, everybody that was washing up in Italy and Greece knew where they wanted to go because they knew all the policies of every country. So much so that the far right party in Sweden, the Sweden Democrats, who are now power brokers in the new government, went to Greece and were handing out. <laughs> pieces of paper in Arabic that said things that were wrong too. Like we don't take people anymore in Sweden. Like, cause everyone knew that they, like they were just lying and saying we don't take people anymore. People understand the system. They're not gaming it because the system is there to be gained. You, you gamed, you can just say, I, you know, you want to not get kicked out. You want to get, not get arrested. You want to not get sent home. Here's how to do it. And everyone does that. And you know, can it be sustained by people in these border communities? That's the thing. As people that have been very kind of positive about immigration in the past, I'm going to say that I don't believe that that is something that we have looked at in a necessary way because having seen it close up and seen the people's reaction to this, it's a lot for people to take. It's a lot for one state, in particular in Texas, to actually sustain. It's, it's a lot. It's a, it's, it's a real problem. And it's not something to do with people should come or should not come, humanitarian or not being very humanitarian. It's just as a practical matter, two and a half, three million people being detained across the border is not something that anybody should That's think right. is a good policy. It's just not working. It's just not working. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I do have a bold policy that might work with respect <laughs> to immigration. Here we go. Oh, no. Oh, Build no. the wall. Oh. Oh, Has anybody no. tried that? Nobody. We, we uh. have a wall. Yeah. Is it a beautiful wall, though? No. No. Yeah. Did Bill Clinton actually build more wall than Donald Trump? I think, so, I think yeah. Bill Clinton. Is that I true? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the build the wall thing was a Democrat, is like a new Democrat 1990s thing. Yeah. And it like changed a lot of the discussion in Southern California, what I'm familiar with. So like it took the pressure of border crossing from tijuana to san ysidro into the shitty desert and so it made it more arduous mm. to get over and so it succeeded in its way and immediately from the beginning made it more deadly to cross the border and made it more like i'm not going to come here for six months or four months to pick strawberries and then go back home to my family because we're actually going to make it more difficult to cross i'm going to if you come here you got to stay um, that was one of the kind of unintended consequences of building the wall originally. Um, and uh, and it's, you know, um, uh, to this day, kind of a conundrum. And and 
I, don't, I haven't looked at the statistics in a while, but um, certainly during the initial Trump era, um, uh, you could look at uh, the number of people who came into the country illegally um, was always a majority. Those people um, did not cross swim across the Rio Grande. Mm. They came here as students and their visas expired. I, I dare say that there are people who some of us might have been married to or certainly that we know pretty well um, uh, or played in bands with who have uh, been in America on expired visas and kind of scrambled to get it together. Those were illegal aliens until they weren't. Mm. Um, and they found some way to make that not illegal. Um, but that's a harder thing to do. And there was, if you recall, in 2015, after Donald Trump escalated into our world, and changed every way that the Republican Party and conservatism talked about immigration in a month, just revealing how quickly people were ready to, to pivot, um, that uh, suddenly everyone was talking about, oh, you know, like uh, uh, Chris Christie, we needed to do the, uh, what was it, the FedEx thing? Like just like, FedEx tracks its packages everywhere. Why well, can't tracks the track the immigrants? Just like put a little thing on their ankle. <laughs> Good to go. The fuck is the problem there? A tracking number. Um, um, one of the asylum seekers yeah. was 32 year old Ali, who left Syria late last year after reading on social media that the easiest way into the EU was fly to, to was to fly to Belarus, and walk into Poland. And the reason I read this is because what Camille was saying, a build a wall, it's funny how when the Donald Trump way of presenting this became such a, such a huge issue. And then, of course, you know, he did like, you know, let's keep Muslims from coming in. It was not a good, it was not presenting this in a good way, right? That no. thing that I just read was because Belarus was weaponizing immigrants, sending them to Poland as like a psyops campaign and they're like, you know, I mean, you look at all of those, all those, you know, battles on the border. And what did Poland do uh, in July? It completed its border wall. It has a, a very big border wall between the, the border of Poland and Belarus. And I'm not sure that that was a controversial issue in Poland. And it, no. it was completed. They finished it. And uh, that because there was a forest. And these, as that kid Ali said, you know, they, they people found out that that was the way to go. And they put it in fairness. It, you know, it's very different. In fairness. Poland, yeah. They have a more like legitimate fear of being invaded from the east as than we do. Yeah, from but the that south. that they've always had that fear. That fence is for people from Syria. <laughs> That's, that is not a that is not, <laughs> Russians go over that fence in an in an in, you know in a tank in two seconds. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely like a if they still place. have tanks. Yeah, most yeah. of them have been blown up. But, you know, obviously the border at the U.S. is very different. But I'm just saying it's like this is a thing that's very common across the world. There's these these controversies everywhere. And there's people building walls and trying to figure out how to how to prevent um, illegal migration. And we are are uniquely terrible at figuring out some solution to this. And of course, it's because the politicization of the issue has been pretty gross. You know, so. do you suspect it might also be a, a circumstance where people know that the regions of the world where people are going to be coming from are going to be shitholes, places that are in, in rough shape? It's, it's Venezuela. It's Haiti. I mean, you've got Haitians yeah. who were going to South America, making their way up through South America in order to get into the United States. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It's rough. Have you seen Business. have you seen 19th century Ireland and Italy? Yeah. Like yes. They weren't they weren't good and they were Catholic. So <laughs> uh, and they were Trump, man. But at least they, they weren't brown. 
That's the thing you need to keep in oh, mind. Um, that much. That's the only dude, reason anybody uh, would yes, want to keep up. Yes, they were. Fact check. <laughs> yeah. The, Fact the, uh, the Italians check. and the Irish were. And of course, the Italians who were browner uh, really looked down on the Irish and they got the upper yeah. hand over the Irish pretty quickly. Yeah. Who's that? That's that book? They the it's, not, it's not hard because the dumb. Yeah, yeah. Mess. I mean, again, we've talked yeah. about this before. Just Google Irish monkey cartoons. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. uh, the Irish were gorillas and apes and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the or. idea that the source. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's uh, funny. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting because that one. I was it's true. <laughs> yeah. Truth is, the the idea... truth is hilarious sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we've been, we've been fear mongering about the like, uh, source of immigration for a long time. And I know yes. you hear fear mongering, you already clen clench up and think, oh no, he's becoming like all woke, but no, like, uh, Michael mentioned earlier, like Westminster, California in Orange County, um, is one of the most, not that. This is a value judgment. It happens to be one of the most rock-ribbed Republican districts left in Orange County. It used to be a very uh, a Republican place. Why? Vietnamese immigrants. Mm. If you have the mind that like, oh my God, they might come from a poor country that has a lot of communism. Would you take in the boat people, as we used to call them? You wouldn't. Even if they're refugees from the place, you'd like, that's, that place is fucked up. Yeah, that's the way that you might treat Venezuela now, which is, and, and in fact, when you sort of treat human beings like pawns, it's kind of implied with that. Uh, no, those people are leaving a place for a reason, mm -hmm. and they're coming to a place for another reason. And um, we should be able to recognize that and not be scared of people's poverty, religion, uh, the fact that they didn't understand every single thing about American like values and the constitutional system and Madisonian this or that. Jesus fucking Christ. How many times do we have to do this? Go read Ronald Reagan's fucking 1975 inaugural speech at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which has been a shit show for as long as most of us have been alive. However, his initial speech in that thing talked at great length about what it was like to um, for America to protect the rights of, at this time, Hungarian citizens who were defecting to America and were and were like snatched by a then dominant Austrian Navy. Um, and he was talking about how glorious it was that so many people have chosen to be American who don't come from any recognizable political system and don't speak our language. He's like, America wins. Isn't that great? And CPAC was like, yes, Queen. Uh, Ronald Reagan was always going to be the queen of CPAC. And that's just not the fucking thing anymore. Well, I mean, Repu and that sucks. Republicans change considerably. That. I mean, you, you try to convince a Republican uh, now of a wet foot, dry foot policy with Cubans. I mean, it's that people don't care about Cubans anymore. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, there's those of us of a certain generation who love striking a, a blow against the Castro dictatorship by stealing his people and allowing his, yeah. his great, um, you know, the, the, the brain drain to come and build Miami and build it into a, a, an impressive place. But the problem- And build a fifth column listenership. And build a fifth oh, column listenership. A and, lot of fucking great Cubans. Yeah, and, and uh -huh. the, the thing is, is there's a very, very thin line that separates, and this is the, the, the policy issue um, uh, between, you know, political asylum and being an economic migrant. They overlap, right? I mean, there's a lot of people from Venezuela who are not worried about Sabine, the secret police in Venezuela coming to their house because they're not 
political. Um, they do live in a system that doesn't allow them to vote for the candidate that they want to, watch the television station they want to, or read the newspaper they want to, or vocally oppose certain people. I mean, it's, it's slightly different now in Venezuela, but, but at the same time, is what they're fleeing is the fact that the runaway inflation in Venezuela that's been going on for 15 years now is as a, as a result of, of communist policy, of hmm. communist economic policy, which they're now actually shifting towards you know, this is what always happens when they're the smart ones. The Cubans never did this. They did a little bit when they allowed people to like open restaurants in their homes. But the Venezuelans are, you know, going. A friend of Venezuelan friend said that um, they opened a, Ferrari, I think a Ferrari dealership in, in in Caracas. Look, there are a lot of rich people in Caracas. It's just they're not the people that live in the barrios. They're not the people that live in Patavo <coughs> in these places. They're you know the bully bourgeoisie. They're the people of the Bolivarian Revolution. But uh, the money's flowing a little more now. But that is a weird thing, right? I mean, are you a political refugee or are you an economic migrant or are those one of the same things? Because often they are one of the same things. So anyway. I, suppose, I think the, the technical phrase is uh, galloping inflation, isn't it, Moynihan? Galloping. It galloping is inflation. Gallop, I mean, it, I, I don't I, know how long that fucking horse has been anymore, galloping in Venezuela. Yeah, it was <laughs> it's galloped all the way point. to fucking Brazil at this point. I mean, yeah. good lord. I mean, their, yeah. their inflation rate may be on par with ours right now. Like the I have piles <laughs> of Venezuelan bolivars. Piles yeah. of them. Totally worthless. I have so many yeah. of them. And I think the ones that I have have been taken out of circulation too. So, so anyway. It may be worth something now. Great country. Amazing people. You should decorate, you should like make a playroom. Oh, that's uh, good. That's their, an uh, idea. Garage. Yeah. Media has a stack of them in her room. A big yeah. stack of Venezuelan bolivars. And she was like, oh, it's a lot of money. And I was like, communism. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, that's why that's not worth anything because of communism. <laughs> oh, Lord, All right. Man. We should probably wrap this up. It's two, two nineteen. Probably. Um, we, we're, uh, are we recording on Sunday, I guess? Probably. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, before, before that, gonna I'm going to go see Woman King so that we can talk about that. So you guys should go see Oh, well. oh, that's we exciting. Do, what we'll do, we'll do a whole special Sunday, call it Black to the Movies. Yes. And we will just go see yeah. Woman King and other, I don't know, whatever. In other pro-slavery movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> celebrating, celebrating. Celebrating the domination, <laughs> yes. subjugation yes. of yes. the capital B black man. The, ba- the um, best thing about particular. that is people are like, you know, this fucking queen in this, the, the colonization of the British Empire. I got to go see that uh, Woman King movie. It's like, you do realize that the British were patrolling off the coast yes. to prevent the slave trade yes, yes. from that very tribe that, yes. is being, that is being, well, you know. It and is now really they must something. pay reparations in addition yes. to that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll, I'll go see the Woman King too. Okay. So I'm going to go see the Woman King. We'll, we'll talk about the Woman King, its historical accuracy, and how, it, how it's going to change our lives forever. I'm confident yep. of it, I'm sure. Yeah. Now I Great. finally have somebody I can look up to in a movie. That's right. You finally can see yourself. You <laughs> can finally in the movie. see myself on screen. Yes, great. Yeah. I'm gonna get and a not shirt just made being portrayed as a fucking portrayed as an Irish drunk. That's, That's right. We get on leprechauns and booze hounds. <laughs> oh oh Lord. God, what the a hero we need. I just I never had anyone. It yeah, was Jerry Adams and the, and fucking the guy in the Lucky Charms. <laughs> yeah. That was it. I thought my, at least my left foot. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Shane McGowan, who had no teeth and uh, was an alcoholic. Yeah, he's my favorite musician. <laughs> All right. Oh, Ireland. 
Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth Column.